Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable Internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Be sure to tune in on October 7th for a special episode about the upcoming movie Zombieland Double Tap. On the episode, we interview the director, Ruben Fleischer, and get details behind the new film. Don't forget to catch Zombieland Double Tap in theaters October 18th. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? You know, there's a lot of people that say, oh, bring them. You made yourself your own university. you got to be a pretty smart guy. Mm -hmm. You know what? I do agree. I am a smart guy because, you know, it's an axiom I always live by. Some people say, bring them young. I say... Keep them young. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel hanging yeah. out with Marcus Parks. Hi, Ben. Hi, Marcus. Oh, it's so good to be back in the United States. It's great to be back in the States. And of course, we got Henry Zabrowski over there in Los Angeles. You know, if a girl dies, she stays the same age. That's very scary, Brigham. It's very yeah, scary. Aren't it you is scary. Be- I'm in charge of the science department. You are, huh? Okay, well, nothing can go wrong at that point. Good Lord, I'd rather trust the doctor from the thing than Brigham Young to be in charge of the science department. I'm trying to keep the children safe. From the travesties of being 16 years old, uh-huh. being old and gross and passed over like a spinster, because <gasps> ugh, just imagining touching the leathery skin of a 20-year-old girl. All right, well, there you go. That's a little uh, a little insight into what today's episode is going to be. This is where the crime comes in, yes. specifically when it comes to our tale of Mormonism, which now we are on to part five. So when we last left Mormonism, Joseph Smith, the founder of arguably the world's most successful new religion, had just been assassinated by an angry mob while under lock and key for destroying a printing press that had published an unflattering story about Smith's polygamous proclivities. Okay, but here it is. How much more scary is it if it was a happy mob? (laughs) If it's just a bunch of smiling people. Hello, Joseph Smith. We're here to kill you now. And everybody's got big smiles painted on protest signs. I mean, that would be incredible. Yeah, that's horrifying. And so, now that Mormonism's first leader was dead, someone had to step up to lead the Mormons to wherever their next destination was going to be, because it was becoming obvious that time was about to run out for the Mormon settlement of Nauvoo. Mm. 
Now, you might think the position of leader would be hereditary, as every member of Joseph Smith's immediate family were converted Mormons. But Joseph's brother Hiram had been killed right alongside Joseph, and Joseph's other brother, Don Carlos, was dead as well. Mm. I tell you what, when you go to heaven, there is Mambo number five, <laughs> but there is also Mambo six through 13. Ay, 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 how I love to be in heaven. I love a good Lou Bega reference. I'll tell you guys, in Germany, in Berlin, me and Carolina visited the studio where Mambo Number 5 was recorded. No kidding. <laughs> Little known fact, Lou Bega German. A lot of people didn't know that. Of course, they also recorded like Lust for Life and Low and Heroes there. But Horseshit. I thought you were about to say we went to Lou Bega's grave. I think he's alive. Jesus Christ. And as far as Joseph's wife went, Emma and her son Joseph III left the church completely after an appropriate time of mourning and formed a splinter group of decidedly anti-polygamous Mormons, and Emma eventually married a non-Mormon. But the only person in the Smith family who truly made a run for the crown was Joseph's brother, William. But William had never been particularly popular with the Mormon people due to his overly abrasive personality. Hi, guys. It's me, William Smith. You want to see my collection of leather vests? You guys want to see my collection of clown shoes? I stole them from a clown hospital, guys. You know, you got a lot of good ideas, but there's yeah. just... Yeah. I'm the world's loudest rapper. Yeah. Hi, I'm William Smith. That I'm here to say. I'm a little Mormonism in a funky way. The world's loudest rapper. I'll take one of those vests, actually. <laughs> Well, as such, William was no match for the man who had essentially founded and built Nauvoo. That man's name was Brigham Young. But before we get into the bloody reign of Brigham, let's acknowledge our source for this episode. Brigham Young, Pioneer Prophet by John G. Turner. This book is an unflinching look at the life of the terrible man who took Mormonism to the next level, using tactics that honestly had a lot more in common with Jim Jones than Joseph Smith's analog of L. Ron Hubbard. Mm. As we're going to see, Brigham Young's a man of the people. He's a simple man. He is a man who he could fix your crockpot. He could put his dick in a hole in the crockpot if you wanted to. <laughs> sure, okay. Brigham Young was one of those guys, he's a very much pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of individual who likes things straight and simple and dumb. When was the last time someone actually had bootstraps? <laughs> I mean, I Doc Martens. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but that's you have to be skanking. Uh, that's that's right. pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. But Brigham Young also, do you ever, did you watch that thing I sent you of the Brigham Young talking directly to the audience? It's like an old museum documentary. I was not able to watch it, no. It's it just Brigham Young is going like, there's a lot of people who disagree with the way I do things. But I tell you what, there's a lot of people who also could get themselves a smack. <laughs> he is very, very old school. Very intense. For some reason, bloody rain of Brigham just sounds like a really cloudy day, and then it pours from the heavens pine tar. <laughs> <laughs> now, Brigham Young joined Mormonism in 1832, back when Mormonism was still in its infancy. Young hadn't rushed to join Joseph Smith upon reading the Book of Mormon, but had rather spent a year ruminating its contents, trying to figure out if it appealed to, as Brigham Young put, it his common sense hmm he literally was one of those guys who had the book he'd read it and just go hmm <laughs> we'll have to see about that hmm so he had some kind of new york accent he came from the sky hmm 
Let me put on my thinking cap. <laughs> it's a screw top. <laughs> so he's ruminating on horseshit to make himself smarter, but also dumber. Yeah. Oh, okay. yes. But the thing about Brigham Young was that he, like Joseph Smith, had a bit of a witchy family history. Although Brigham didn't come from right-hand path magicians like Joseph Smith did, his family history was still steeped in the supernatural. According to family lore, Brigham's great-grandfather, a Puritan named Ebenezer Godard, had been wickedly cursed by a neighbor named Nat Smith over a property dispute. <laughs> I love that so much. Like for like nowadays you just pump your shotgun at your neighbor and then you know I'm serious, but I love the idea of just cursing someone. <laughs> you can still do it, Kissel. Yeah? You do understand what we learned from Santa Muerte. Yes. That it, you can do it, but no, it comes back to you trifold mm-hmm. unless you constantly are giving back to Santa Muerte. Yeah, that's the thing with St. Death. She wants so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, because of the curse... The family's milk spoiled far sooner than it should have, which is a pretty common curse thing. (laughs) Papers from Godard's desk disappeared and were found in a well completely dry, and the family witnessed a vision in their oven fire of their infant's clothes burning in the flame. They also received a VHS tape that said, Seven days. (laughs) (laughs) What is this contraption? I unleashed the snakes from inside this, what I assume to be some kind of pliable wood. And I tell you what, the little Chinese girl that was inside show was friendly. (laughs) Fairly, though. That's the thing. They should, if Brigham Young got the curse from the ring... He would have just molested it. And then all of a sudden, the, and then she's like, can I get back into the TV, please? Can I just go back to the well? Because this is actually worse than what I was going to do to you. You got me in the middle of a drink. Just imagining just going with Ringu. And just like, where in the doll did he touch you, Ringu? And she's like, ew, ew. <laughs> Apparently, though, the curse was broken by a hard session of family prayer. Mm. But this story was passed down as fact to Brigham Young, which for Brigham made the supernatural presence of God and the devil concrete realities here on Earth. Mm. That's important, especially to their future. It's a p- very practical understanding of God and the devil. The way, it's why these, why folk magic and all of these things were kind of directly embedded into this village lifestyle. Because you really had this belief that you had an ongoing conversation with whatever is past the veil that would help you and 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 ba- or hinder you if you're not doing things correct. So bring them young. Once you kind of get in that world of like God's a guy you can know, uh-huh. that you're just like five steps for Mormonism. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, Brigham was also raised as a strict Methodist to the point where he didn't even hear music until the age of 11. Damn. And even when that sweet moment came, his father beat him senseless for listening. His father beat him. For hearing music. Yeah, Our I'll... ears are open holes. It's not like you have to fold your ears open to hear right. music. It's like, it just hits your eardrums. But Brigham Young was never the same. The way he described it was like, when I first heard a violin, I, my first thought was, is that a snake singing? But then I knew, I knew, 
I too could dance. <laughs> what is you why because I grew up evangelical, and mm-hmm. the one thing about the evangelicals, they sing horribly, yeah. but they sing loud. Oh, yeah. Why did they hate music? I'll never understand this whole notion that music is bad. Is it just because it gets your toes tapping? Shit, man. Yes. I was a Methodist for like two years. I still couldn't tell you. But I know there was no music in the church. That is sad. <laughs> From what I've seen, it's about anything. You're supposed to want to go to heaven. So anything uh. that is pleasurable connected to your corporal life is bad because that proves that you can have any sort of joy or release in this time frame. Ugh. You're all supposed to, you're supposed to be shooting for the top. They were also very 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 strict. Yeah. yeah sounds like it. Yeah. Well, as far as schooling went, despite having a whole college named in his honor, Young never spent a single day in a classroom because he spent all of his formative years working on his family's rock farm, just like Joseph Smith had. (laughs) Sad. What all this added up to was a man who was hard-bitten, gruff, and stubborn, but it also gave Young the resilient spirit necessary to be the leader that a weird frontier religion needed to survive, even if Brigham Young was an awful person. It's almost like you had to be an awful person. Yeah. Right. But the thing about Brigham Young is that even though he ended up being the man to take the Mormons to Utah, he resisted leadership positions in the church for years, and it took a direct command from Joseph to make Young accept polygamy. But once Joseph convinced Young to accept these roles, Brigham went whole hog. And I think this says something very important about Brigham. I think he knew that there was a darkness waiting in his soul, and Joseph Smith ended up being Brigham's devil. It's very interesting, because Brigham Young was Joseph Smith's bodyguard. That was kind of what he had worked his way up to, because he was a member of the Apostles. Once Joseph Smith had started really delegating who was important to his inner world, Brigham Young kind of became a guy that could be known for the fact that he had a leather strap. That if you had problems, he'd spank you with this fucking strap. Oh my! Talking full grown men, like this is like him spanking a full grown man in a field with the strap. You're like, this is what God wants me. To do. Yeah, but you this better be bring him. You better be careful if you spank him too hard. It could make the sound of a drum, which is technically music. And now <laughs> yeah, you're singing, I start sir. Slapping my own head, and oh, I'm hearing birds. I should kill every bird because even they're talking to singing. <laughs> But this is amazing that he took to polygamy so hardcore because, as uh, you all mentioned on the last episode, he said he would rather be in the casket. Yeah. He would rather be dead than have sex with a bunch of women. Well, Young knew he had authoritarian tendencies, and he knew that more often than not, his answer to a problem was violence. So he resisted leadership roles, and he also knew of his sexual appetites. Mm. So he resisted polygamy as well. Brigham Young, I, I love this this take because he did know his authoritarian tendencies. He did so, sort of understand that intrinsically about himself. But also, Brigham Young was, he's not smart, he's cunning. Yes. He, he knew that he could step back and watch because I think that it's not a coincidence that whenever the major shit went down around Joseph Smith, Brigham Young was either on mission, mm-hmm. go, going and pu- pulling in people, he was always separate. The polygamy he waited, like so. I think there's almost a, a, a there's a part of it is that he he kind of knew there'll be a time for me. There's yeah. going to be a time for me. Joseph Smith is a, a inspirational figure, and he's sweet, and he's pure, and he's the p- true prophet. 
but I'm the guy that's going to have to do all the hard work when it comes down to it, and they're all going to be very thankful for a man like me when it's my time. So unlike most cult leaders, he was self-aware? I think he was extremely self-aware. Interesting. Yeah, and I mean, just it's like Henry said, like, we've mentioned Brigham Young, what, twice this entire series? Right. Because Brigham Young was never there when the shit went down. Mm. He was an important figure, but he was, up to this point, uh, more of a... Now, I wouldn't call him a goon, uh, but he was... He's uh, kind of like a goon. Kind of like a goon, but he's more of a background figure. Like, okay. he's just making shit happen. He's not doing the sexy work, in other words. He's doing oh, the hard shit. Yeah, not like Joseph Smith. <laughs> oh, yeah, all these Mormon men doing all that sexy work. <laughs> no, we'll eventually get to the violence that was born from Young's leadership. But after Young accepted polygamy back when Joseph Smith was still alive, Young almost immediately married a new arrival in Nauvoo who was only 17 years old. And then there was the story with the English girl Martha Brotherton in Joseph Smith's store that we talked about in the last episode, where Young cornered the teenager and told her that they could consummate the marriage that night and her parents would never need to know. Especially if we do it in a, um, colloquially, we call it the Dookie Maker. <laughs> really? Because that keeps you a virgin forever. I don't know if you've read that revelation. It's, it's near the back of one of the thicker books. Yeah, well, how, how was freshman seminar at Notre Dame? It was interesting. I learned if we do it in the Dookie Maker, I can be a virgin for life. Huh. Well, by the time of Joseph Smith's death, Brigham Young had four plural wives. By the time Brigham himself died 30-some-odd years later, he had 53 wives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to get them wives. I got wives yes. in every single area code. It doesn't work because it doesn't rhyme, but, but it's true. It's a lot of wives. And although Young had originally resisted leadership roles, he had been the driving force of the English conversion efforts that brought thousands to America. Plus, he'd served on the High Council for years by the time Joseph was killed. So, when it came time for a new leader, Young stepped up without hesitation because he'd tasted power and found that it was absolutely intoxicating. Ooh. But it seems like Brigham Young either didn't hear or outright ignored one of Joseph Smith's last private communications. Because remember, Smith proclaimed polygamy to be the curse that would eventually undo the Mormon religion. That's only because he just came. We talked about <laughs> yes. this last time. He finally he emptied it out. And he was like, wow, oh, I've made a mistake. Yep. And of course, Joseph Smith, his, one of his last revelations was... Uh, two in the pink, <laughs> one in the stink. And it seems as if Mr. Young did not take that into account. <laughs> and there were some in the church who figured Joseph Smith's murder was the perfect time to do away with polygamy completely. But Brigham Young was not one of those people, and the church splintered because of it. See, the top two contenders to lead the church through the next phase of its existence were Brigham Young and Sidney Rigdon. Rigdon wanted to take the church in a more reasonable direction, while Young wanted to double down on polygamy and weird rituals. In other words, Sidney figured that if the Mormons were not perceived as outlying weirdos, then people would stop trying to murder them, mm -hmm. while Brigham Young rightly followed Joseph Smith's lead in thinking that it was precisely the weirdness that kept the Mormons together. Hmm. Absolutely, because it's a secret-keeping mechanism that's been happening since the beginning of time. The secret schools... 
You need to have rituals and initiations that only select members can get to so that you can feel like there's an inner club that you want to be a part of. It's like us with the Sky Miles. I think I did this last <laughs> time. But it, 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 this story starts to get, for me, very, very intense yeah. because we're going to see the flip. It's again, Brigham Young is going to be sort of like what David Miscavige did with Scientology. Yes. Brigham Young is going to understand that we're moving this forward. And a way that we have to do it is constantly restore the religion again, which we'll see next episode when we cover the story that's inside of the book Under the Banner of Heaven, <clears throat> where that group is a, it's the same violence of this idea of we have to restore the original, original Mormon church. And every single time you guys want to change it and make things reasonable, what we have to do is actually take it even farther back. Yeah. Right. And I would also assume by going with the stranger outlook with the rituals and all those things, all those things, it uh, it ensures that you're going to have enemies. You're going to have opponents. Yeah. You're going to have people who are like, this group is very strange. And without that group, then Mormonism has no power at all. Mm-hmm. And so Brigham Young began a purge. He first excommunicated Sidney Rigdon after Rigdon named Joseph Smith a fallen prophet because of the whole polygamy thing. Then Joseph's brother William was excommunicated for taking part in unsanctioned plural marriages. Yeah, I married this big pillow I made. It looks like Ray Ayukami from the Evangelion. <laughs> yeah, so is that a problem? I, I married a fire hydrant earlier today. Is that bad? I mean? Excommunicated? Excommunicated. Right. Wow, so Joseph Smith is now uh, Gerald Ford in the eyes of Rigdon. He's mm. fallen all over the place. Oh, yeah, man. Very classic. Oh, my old, God, Kissel. Old joke. Oh, my God. Kissel. You don't like that joke? Seriously. Oh, is that not up to snuff? <laughs> I'm a professional. A for fucking Ford? Mad Magazine in 1979. I have a phone call. Oh, it's oh coming God. from Saturday Night Live from 1977. 76! <laughs> well, the last contender to the crown was James Strang, who claimed he was in possession of a letter from Joseph Smith that named Strang as his successor, adding that Joseph's last command was to take everyone to Wisconsin or <laughs> somewhere thereabouts. Yeah. But after Strang started claiming revelations of his own, Brigham branded Strang a heretic and excommunicated him as well. But quite a few Mormons had believed Strang's story. So when Young forced out Strang, he and thousands of disgruntled Mormons went to Michigan and settled on an archipelago on Lake Michigan. And archipelago. Strang, uh, I looked it up. Archipelago. No, it's archipelago. It is archipelago. <laughs> what the hell is an archipelago? <laughs> yeah, archipelago. archipelago is the is the new resort that Donald Trump will open uh, <laughs> once he loses re-election in like Alaska. God damn it! Yeah. Is it archipelago? It is archipelago. Oh yeah, you're from Florida. You know that shit. What yeah. the hell is an archipelago? <laughs> it's a group of islands. <laughs> okay, let's just call it that. Well, once Strang got there, he proclaimed himself. King of Beaver Island. <laughs> Hell yeah. And he held that he held that title until 1976 until Arnold Rigetti uh, actually claimed King of Beaver Island uh, at a resort uh, off of the Turnpike in Newark, New Jersey. No kidding. Wow. And from from that day, uh, the, the T-shirts Big Johnson were created and everybody had fun with golf puns about testicles. And for a time... 
Strang was successful. He even rose in the ranks of political power, serving one term in the Michigan House of Representatives. Wow, so they literally, was it King of Beaver Island that was on the ballot? Because yeah, I, buddy. And this is my best friend. He's the Duke of Beaver Island. Yeah, I shit in a pussy. We're not trying to let him talk a lot. All right, we just, he's here for flavor. He's bringing in the Southern vote. Yeah, that sounds about right. But just like Joseph Smith, Strang took his authority too far. He had one follower flogged for adultery, and he excommunicated another for getting drunk. And soon afterward, these ex-followers formed a conspiracy with two others who were also unsatisfied with Strang's rule. So these four men followed Strang to a dock at the harbor of St. James and shot him in the back three times and pistol-whipped him afterward for good measure. Three weeks later... The king of Beaver Island died from his wounds. Wow, the Abraham Lincoln of cult leaders. Mm-hmm. The king of Beaver Island is gone. It's like Game of Bones. Yeah. <laughs> but the Strangites were only one splinter group that formed after Smith's assassination. There were also the Rigdonites, who followed Sidney Rigdon, the Josephites, who followed Emma and Joseph III, and of course, the Brighamites, who eventually won the crown. Hmm. But in the immediate aftermath of Joseph Smith's murder, the Brighamites were in no way safe. The Illinois governor, Thomas Ford, who had possibly allowed the assassination of Joseph Smith, told the Mormons that they were on their own. But the only thing Ford did do was travel to Nauvoo to calm down the anti-Mormons who were spoiling to finish the job they'd started with the murder of Joseph Smith. But since Brigham Young had heavily armed both himself and the Nauvoo Legion... Ford revoked the Nauvoo town charter. Mm. Well, you remember, the Nauvoo Legion was not supposed to exist anymore. The, the, new, the Nauvoo Legion was just like, they were not supposed to have a militia, and so he had to keep everything on the down low, which is as we're going to go further and further the, the next episode, these little secret societies are very mm. important to Mormonism. Yeah. And so the Nauvoo Legion became something else quite like the Danites were, which was super secret, like holding like planners that are just like rifles you know what i mean it's like you know bouquets of flowers that have whips in them (laughs) like stuff like that to hide it but they all were very much hiding in plain sight because they knew they had to be flashing pieces yeah to be safe so sticking with another 1970s reference my next reference will be in the 1980s i promise um (laughs) the governor was sort of like the dean warmer from animal house he revokes the charter Uh and next thing you know bluto's out there Trying to get a whole bunch of girlfriends. <laughs> yeah, they are on double secret secret, secret probation. probation. Yes, but even <laughs> remember that movie. Yes, this, yes, is, this is the part of the podcast where I say, "Remember that?" Yeah, yeah. Remember that with Ben Kissel. That's a new good show. Yeah. Where it's just you going, "Remember that one?" Remember you... Clear Pepsi? <laughs> you could see right through it. Remember that? But even though Ford didn't actively seek the deaths of the Mormon people, he also knew that having Mormons in your state inevitably led to violence. So he petitioned President James K. Polk to lend him a militia so he could give the Mormons a light little poke to get the fuck out of there. Hmm. And that inspired the Mormon Girl series later on for them (laughs) to all receive a light little poke um, in a series of documentary films. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, as stubborn as Brigham Young could be, he wasn't stupid. 
The brutal massacre at Hans Mill was still a fresh memory, and Brigham's own brother had witnessed militiamen blow off the top of a young boy's head Ugh. during that slaughter. So, Young sent scouts west over the American border to find a place for the Mormons to permanently settle. But while the decision on where to go was being made, mob violence against the Mormons in Nauvoo continued. Mormon homes were burned, Mormon men were whipped in the streets, and Young never went anywhere without a six-shooter lest he be challenged and murdered on the spot for being Mormonism's new leader. And he loved every fucking minute of God, it. God, he loved it. I, there, is a, there is a thing here, which could be, because the, the, this violence is what's going to fucking chase them out of Nauvoo. But Brigham Young technically was the right guy at the time because he loved to fight. Joseph Smith didn't really like he mm -hmm. liked to lead and he loved his he loved being a king of his own little world. But Brigham Young became a fucking folksy general. Yeah, right. All right. Well, if you are getting whipped in the street again, flip it and reverse it. Drop trout, get hard and let them know you're yeah, happy. Yeah, baby. Yes. <laughs> Fake me, daddy. You're my new daddy, baby. I'm your baby. <laughs> but still, Brigham Young never slowed down on what freaked people out about the Mormons most. Polygamy. Yes. Between 1844 and 1846, Young married 33 women and consummated <sighs> at least a few, as the year 1845 gave him three different children from three different wives. Eventually, Brigham Young's offspring would number... Give a get. Guess. 33 wives? 33 wives. Guess how many kids he had. Okay, let's figure. They each have, let's say, three kids. I'm going to go 99. <laughs> <laughs> you overshot it a little bit. Okay. 56. Yeah, dude. That's a lot of cum. I have a, <laughs> it is. Honestly, that is a lot. But now, was each ceremony the exact same? Yes. Or, okay, because I was thinking that would be very difficult if you're wife 29 and you're like, I want a better wedding than wife 28. And then it's, <laughs> it's like, like you got to go yeah, up and up. Next thing yeah, you know, you're so on you Mars for wedding 33. Yeah, it's like we're doing a scuba wedding. I, I am just like, listen, I, do we need the charger plates? <laughs> Do, do we have to have a candle for each table? Can't we just do some sort of, ah, like a candle centerpiece? Or... I'm just, I am not envious of this at all. What a nightmare. But again, polygamy keeps people honest within the Mormon world because it's a big secret we all have to keep. But you remember, though, Marcus, you saw how reasonable Brigham Young was because he said everyone it became a marriage spree throughout all of the, the, the world of Mormonism. So everybody's getting married to everybody. But he he said, I turned down a man who wanted to marry a 12 year old because that's just not right. Oh. They have to make it to 13 <laughs> because that's God. the unlucky number. Oh, my God. He's not playing roulette. <laughs> And even though Brigham knew the Mormons' days in Nauvoo were numbered, he never stopped building the temple that Joseph had started. And that temple still stands in Nauvoo today. Huh. You can go visit it if you want. It, now it, it's now a Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very sacred still to Mormonism, and it is there. And we've had several listeners send us pictures of it, and it is beautiful looking. Yeah. Okay, all right. See, as I said, Brigham Young learned from Joseph Smith that the thing that was going to hold the remaining Mormons together was the rituals. And considering how every other splinter group who abandoned the rituals died off, Young was absolutely correct. 
Young even introduced rituals of his own that Joseph Smith had partly crafted before he died, such as the law of adoption ritual. Hmm. In this, a man was sealed to another man in a father-son relationship to replace lost family connections that one may have suffered as a result of converting to Mormonism. Like butt to butt? How'd they do this? Like human centipede? How do you seal a man to another man? Sealing is, you can... sealing is the, their word for, like they, they don't say marriages, they say sealings. Okay, like it's so it's not, like that mo- it's not like that movie stuck on, stuck on you or whatever the hell that was? No, 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 no. 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 But if you can pass... A piece of gum from one butthole to the next. <laughs> he becomes your father forever. Really? <laughs> How'd you chew this gum so well? Uh, it's a thing I learned as a uh, young pioneer lad. Uh, <laughs> it was a trick to get Native Americans to leave us alone. <laughs> And Young established this ritual by saying that he had spoken with Joseph Smith in a dream. And in that dream, Smith had given him all the specifics to finish the ritual that Smith had started. Yes, Brigham. You have to be a daddy to everybody. That's what I was saying. Be a daddy. It's easy to do. You put a hand on the shoulder, you're a daddy. Boom, boom, boom. No more daddies. No more old daddies, only new daddies. Oh, wow. Interestingly, though, this ritual was scuttled in 1894 because being adopted by high-ranking elders in the church became nothing more than a status symbol. And it usually caused jealousy and conflict between adopted sons and biological sons. Okay. It's also a cult mechanism of replacing your family. The whole thing is to create a network in which you don't need outsiders. We have everything that you need here. You have a new daddy. Mommies don't matter. Not in Brigham Young's Mormonism. There is no mommies in this world that anybody gives a shit about. It's all daddies. Because, again, the priesthood is handed down from from dude to dude to dude. So it's like not only if you have the Aaronic priesthood and then the Malchizedek priesthood, you're also like new son to new daddy that is Brigham Young who is the new prophet. So you are like bound and sealed into all the power structures of the religion. I'm mm-hmm. just surprised at one point these 33 women didn't all come together and tear Brigham Young apart in his bed like the conclusion of the film Maniac <laughs> with all of the corpses, with all of the, uh, the, the ghosts of the women that he murdered as they kill him. And tear- it's a great conclusion to that, by the way. I love that movie, Maniac. Great movie. Yeah. Well, Young believed that this ritual, the law of adoption ritual, was vital in binding his people to the religion and to Brigham Young as a leader. And in 1846, Young sealed himself to 38 young men before the exodus to the West began. Jeez. And cleverly, Governor Ford figured out a way to jumpstart that exodus much earlier than it really needed to start. Eighteen months after the murder of Joseph Smith and just after the temple in Nauvoo was completed, Thomas Ford told Brigham Young that the federal government was coming to arrest Young on counterfeiting charges. It was a lie. Uh, what? (laughs) No. 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 But Governor Ford was getting tired of the Mormons dragging their feet, and he was only using this as a peaceable solution to get these people the fuck out of his state so he could stop dealing with constant mob violence. He was coming up on two years of dealing with this shit. And honestly, it was a pretty smart move. It was totally bad. No... No one died as a result of this, and the Mormons just moved on. All right. You just got to get them out of there. Get them out. Because it's this fucking cancer that's growing inside your bullshit. You are watching this. It's just a thing you have to constantly deal with. And also, at the time, the country's just really beginning to fall apart. Yeah. Because we're now 
we're now getting close to what is it 15 years they're about 67 yeah before the civil war about 15 years or so yeah okay problem was though the mormons still didn't have an exact location picked out all brigham young had was a vague notion about upper california which back then encompassed modern day northern california nevada arizona and of course utah oh that's a lot of land that's a lot of california all the Mormons really knew was that they would most likely have to cross the Rocky Mountains at some point, which was naturally going to be an arduous and possibly deadly journey for mm-hmm. quite a few of them. But Brigham Young had learned a thing or two from Joseph Smith about manipulating people. Mm. Young told the Mormons that a lack of unity and obedience amongst the people was what had killed Joseph Smith. And if the people strayed again, their actions would likely kill Brigham Young as well. So Brigham literally lined up his 33 wives like the mean woman from uh, Troops of Beverly Hills. Remember the Troops of Beverly Hills? Great film. And just be like, another 1980s. I think maybe I said I was going to get to the 80s. And he's just like, listen, my 33 wives, some of you won't be coming out of this alive. But God damn it, we're going to go on, keep on going, and we're going to make it to Upper California. And what we learn, though, about women in pioneer times, they live. Yeah, they're, they're the, the ones that live. The After survivors. the Donner Party, they fucking survive because I think breasts give nutrients <laughs> back to them. Is that true? <laughs> Let me ask the female listeners. If you can make your own milk and you're on a pioneer, does that mean you never starve to death because you could suck out of your own titties because you're making your own food? But it's, they're, God, they're, no, the, no, they're, they're the factory, though. <laughs> and so if they're starving, then there's, not, there's no milk. No. I don't know. No, you're both... You're both wrong. I can't. I think I'm more right than Henry. I'm no, more right than Henry. Wrong? No, there's a simple scientific explanation for it. Oh my god. Okay, tell us about lactation, Marcus. It's not about lactation. It's about being able to store fat. Women's bodies are made to store fat. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. It's a, it is a child rearing thing. Like it is absolutely a child rearing thing. Uh, but you, you said it. That's what. <laughs> God, we are extra juvenile today. But that's a a big reason why uh, women can survive in the frontier times and why they survive starvation in the Donner Party uh, much longer than uh, the men did. It's a biological thing. Judging by two-thirds of this podcast, men can also store fat. (laughs) (laughs) It is also a hardy thing. I mean, one time, me and uh, Carolina got lost in the uh, mountains of uh, upstate New York once, and uh, without her, I may have died. Yep, thank you. No, Carolina. they're the stronger. They're the stronger <laughs> kept, gender. Yeah, she kept yeah. us going the entire yes. time. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Now the United States was already well on their way to acquiring the Mexican territory of California by the time of the Mormon Exodus, having already acquired Oregon from Great Britain that same year. And President Polk actually figured that the Mormons would be a good advance team for the Oregon Territory. So Young lent the government a force of Mormons who made up the Mormon Battalion, which is still the only U.S. military unit to ever exist based solely on religion. Hmm. Yeah, if you try to make a Satanist battalion, it would just be a bunch of guys all just walking in different directions and <laughs> going to whatever is the closest Spencer's to get whatever skull that they have up for Halloween decorations now. It's nice to be in Halloween season. The Brigham Young did not want to do this, but he erroneously believed that President Polk had 3,000 Missouri militiamen just over the border ready to wipe out the last of the Mormons if Brigham Young refused to contribute men. But Polk was actually somewhat pro-Mormon because the Mormons had helped him get elected. So Young's assumption had no basis in reality. But this was only the beginning 
of a paranoid streak in Brigham Young that would eventually lead to a massacre in Utah. But think about this. The U.S. government told you, A-OK, you can go. We're going to give a group of you guys. It's going to be a whole group of you guys that are now an official army of the U.S. of the U.S. fucking military. Y'all can go. <clears throat> and so Brigham Young is going to get a surprising amount of power here. He is allowed to just go and explore. I mean, like, they have no clue what the hell is going to happen to him out there. But he is uh, getting first dibs on new American territory. This is an old dream of Joseph Smith's, too, mm-hmm. that Brigham Young is also making real, of creating a separate Mormon, an entire, either hopefully country. Yeah. At this point, they're going to slow play it and say, yeah, we'll help you investigate your new territory and help you map out your new states. But we'll see what happens when we finally decide to sit down because we know for a fact you're just about to try to fucking kill my ass. Whoa. <laughs> so... While the Mormon battalion was exploring the Pacific coast, Brigham Young and the rest of the Mormons temporarily settled in Nebraska on a site that eventually came to be known as Winter Quarters. Here, Brigham's paranoid streak turned violent for the first time. He began punishing and expelling, quote-unquote, sinners because he hoped to arrive at the Mormons' permanent home with a purified church. This meant that brutal floggings became the norm at winter quarters. On one occasion, he ordered the caning of several teenage boys for, quote, acting inappropriate towards ladies, although no specifics were given as to what actually transpired. This reminds me of that uh, PSA for drug use with the kid. This is a 90s reference where the kid is lying in bed and the father finds the joint and then he looks at his father and be like, I learned it from watching you, Dad! I watching you, Dad! Like the audacity of Brigham Young to be like, you guys are treating women inappropriately. Wife 27, go scold them! Oh, Brigham Young's hypocrisy knows no bounds. This is my stool wife, okay? And you, you, you're not going to take my stool wife from me because my boot wife, she literally wraps her way around my feet and I walk on top of her. <laughs> this is important duties of a wife. <laughs> now, first, Young denied even knowing that the punishment had taken place, but he soon turned a full about face and told the parents of the punished boys that they were lucky that Brigham didn't kill him. Wow. But Brigham Young wasn't doing this because he had the utmost respect for women. Young, in fact, believed that women were vastly inferior to men. And this is a direct quote from Brigham Young. A woman is the dirtiest creature, dirtier than man. Men are honest. If a woman won't lie, she is a miracle. Now let me grab my chewing tobacco from my asshole, or what I call my my purse, my man purse. Well, when it came down to sinners, there's a kind of a loose definition of sinners, because the big thing was is that Brigham Young was also incredibly racist. Ah. And so on the trail, like as they were going, he wouldn't even allow people to fraternize with anybody browner than somebody from, than a Utah. You know what I mean? So, like, they were very, very, he was deeply, deeply, like, so that was one of the ways. If he saw you fraternizing with a black person, you'd get beat. He saw you speaking with a woman, you'd get beat. If he saw you being lazy, that was another thing, too. It's because the whole thing was to inspire this, much like, again, go go back, we'll talk to the Jim Jones kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You keep people tired, you keep people scared, you keep people working. He had them purposefully underfed because in order for them to get across the fucking Rocky Mountains, he says, well, we can make it on this little amount of supplies. So people were starving. They were literally pushing 
fucking huge wagon wheel carts over rocky desert just to get across to where they needed a position to where the Rocky Mountains were, that it's like, he started understanding that these are the kind of things you keep people, you keep people on a very short leash. When I worked at Burger King, I'm fairly certain that the female manager was a great descendant of Brigham Young because she was extremely racist. She would say wash instead of wash. And then if she would say, if you're leaning, you should be cleaning. And then I really wanted to murder her. But I think she's still a manager at Burger King in Wisconsin. So that's how you hold your power. Yeah. And Young wouldn't hear of anyone having a differing opinion. He doubled down in winter quarters on his obedience policy, saying that dissenters would be sent to Missouri where, quote, Their heads shall be severed from their tabernacles. Tabernacle is another word for body. And their stems shall be removed from their water balloons. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I hear ya. But Brigham Young also believed in mixing a little sweet with the sour, because Young made sure that the Mormons had plenty of parties, just so long as those parties followed all of Brigham Young's rules. And here's one extremely surprising thing that I learned about Mormons over the course of researching this series. Mormons are fantastic dancers. What? And this tradition began in the days of Brigham Young. It is a huge part of their heritage. And to this day, the Brigham Young University dance program is among the best in the country. And Mormons absolutely dominate competitive dance competitions. What kind of dancing are we talking? Are they popping (laughs) and locking? Are they doing swing? Are they doing river dance? Back in those days, it was square dancing, and Brigham Young did not allow people to touch each other, at least body to body. They could touch hands. Uh, But in recent years, the BYU program has loosened on those rules, and they are allowed to touch each other. Uh, But the BYU dance program is huge. It's a gigantic thing. Yeah, That's good. That's a good thing. It's, It's like a lot of jazz dance. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of like flappers and that kind Dear of bug. stuff. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. Jazz dance. <laughs> jazz dance is kind of what you'd see if you're like, I only know a little about it because my niece did competitive dancing. So it's a lot of the like, huh, 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 on it. Wearing halter tops for some reason infuriates me or speaking yeah, like stop dressing them like fly girls from In Living Color. Oh, that would be great. great. Remember J-Lo? She uh, was on that. I remember that. She's yeah. doing the Super Bowl show this year. Isn't that something? Isn't it something? Yes, it is. Isn't it exciting? I can't wait to turn in. <laughs> Live from your grave. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply.
This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. It's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. from your grave. So... In 1847, Brigham Young and 150 Mormon pioneers left winter quarters and headed west with the express purpose of finding a permanent home for the Latter-day Saints. And in June of 1847, the group ran into two famous mountain men, Moses Harris and Jim Bridger. Now, both of these guys gave conflicting advice on an exact place to settle, but both agreed that the perfect place for the Mormons was Utah. Yeah, guys, you're going to love Utah. Utah's as flat as a new bride and as pointy as a new husband. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't they also, didn't one of them, didn't they tell them stories of the Donner Party? I believe they remembered they met somebody that had seen the survivors of the Donner Party. Damn. Well, this was the, sum- this was the summer 
after the Donner oh Party. Oh my God! This was okay. 18, the, the the Donner Party was like the winter of 1846, 1847. This was the following June. Damn. And there okay. was a and there was a Mormon guy that had kind of scouted out to uh, California. He'd gone all the way through, and on his way back, he had met some of the survivors of the Donner Party, and he came back to the Mormons and be like. Why don't you guys be careful? Be careful, indeed. <laughs> go south. Go south. Jeez. Go to Florida. Come on. Now, there isn't really any big secret or revelation surrounding the decision to settle near the Great Salt Lake. The best reason for settling there was because nobody else wanted it, and the Mormons believed they could live there in peace. But there were more subtle, cult-specific reasons for settling there as well. Reasons that hold quite a few parallels to the decision Jim Jones made to move the People's Temple to Guyana. First of all, Utah was totally isolated, meaning that once you arrived, there was no easy or safe way to leave. Mm. Second, Brigham Young knew that life in the Salt Lake Valley was going to be exceedingly difficult, which he knew would bind his people together even further. Jim Jones did the same shit with going and settling in the jungle. He knew the people going out there and tearing down trees and building all these huts, he knew that would bind them together because it was hard work. Right. Furthermore, if life is hard and you have to work every moment of the day just to survive, then you don't have the time or energy to think about how shitty your life really is, right. which keeps you complacent, if not utterly miserable. Right. And if you already have a Christian streak... You believe you deserve it. Yeah. And that's what he's constantly, there's the the theological side, too, where being like, this is suffering for the pleasures of heaven. Yes. You're here to build this thing. You're going to take d- d- fucking salt desert, and we're going to create a mecca for Mormonism in the center of it. And it'll be your doing. And won't you feel proud? Wouldn't you feel proud once you die when you're 57 because all you've done is break apart rocks with your hands your last fucking 30 years of your life where you could have just been sitting on a park fucking playing a harmonica? Well, when we went to Salt Lake, they, they did a pretty good job. It's that's, a very pretty city. That's the insane thing is that they fucking did it. Yeah, like, oh yeah. very pretty. <laughs> like they, they pulled it off. Like Salt Lake City is a beautiful town. Uh, it's fully functioning. It is. No, it's a, I mean, yeah, I like Salt Lake City. Sure. It's yeah. very beautiful. Yeah. But the thing was, Brigham Young almost didn't survive the trip. When the Mormons arrived on the site that eventually became Salt Lake City, Young was barely conscious because he was recovering from a bad case of Colorado tick fever. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you bring me that tick and I get me my strap. I'm going to spank that tick so it understands what it's done to me. <laughs> Just cut to the tick getting rock hard, being like, yes, daddy. Yeah, new daddy, new daddy. But amazingly, that was the worst that had happened. The expedition had been a huge success because wow. Young had taken 150 people 1,000 miles without any deaths. Wow. It had been three years since Joseph Smith had been assassinated, and Brigham Young had finally brought the Mormon people to the place they still call home to this day, Salt Lake City. And by the next fall, the original number of 150 pioneers would swell to 4,000. Damn. But from the beginning, Young strove for autonomy from the United States. He immediately declared that no officer of the United States would ever dictate to him in this valley or else he would hang them on a gibbet. 
as a warning to others. Yeah, I got a whole pile of gibbets. You got a bunch of gibbets? I got a whole pile of gibbets waiting for heads to, to dawn upon them like ornaments on a Christmas tree. Oh, no. Which I'm also not allowing because they're gay. Look. Whoa. And the kingdom of the Mormons grew rapidly. Within 10 years, there were over 100 smaller settlements between Utah Lake and Ogden, all of them populated almost exclusively by Mormons. And Brigham Young wasted no time in realizing Joseph Smith's dream of a functioning theocracy. He governed the church, and by extension, all of the Mormon settlements like an Israelite judge, presiding over criminal cases and settling marriage disputes. Which is, again, filling out the original idea behind Joseph Smith, which is because he said he'll treat things like Solomon, Mm -hmm. where the king is heavily involved in all civic matters, where you go, like he goes, yes, he sets theocracy fucking policy, but also if you have a domestic dispute, you bring it to him, he settles it. He decides who marries who. He He is very deeply entrenched in every layer of their society, much like who ate Saddam Hussein or one of those people who would put pictures of themselves up everywhere you go so you're constantly reminded of who's your fucking boss this whole thing with king solomon being a great king his big idea was to chop the baby in half (laughs) that's all he did was like who's the mom oh you guys are both moms chop it in half and we'll see and then it's like obviously the woman who was like no the other woman can have it then he's like you're the mother yeah he's like maury povich it was a clever idea i guess a clever idea (laughs) but if you're a woman and you have to go settle all of your disputes with a known sexist like brigham young you kind of know you're screwed yeah Well, Brigham Young also had a fucking filthy mouth, both in public and private. Obsessed with shit. He was like fucking, uh, was it Jim Leahy from Trailer Park Boys? Everything was a shit metaphor. Really? Yeah. Concerning the bills the Mormons were racking up, Brigham said, quote, shit on church debts. (laughs) (laughs) And I did. (laughs) <laughs> shit on church debt oh god he talks like fucking slim pickens he really does <laughs> but at the same time young also ordered canings when his people swore because young if anything was a fantastic hypocrite okay and that's his worst crime because there's nothing worse than being a hypocrite <laughs> yeah there's a few things worse than being a hypocrite but Young was also overly confident, claiming that he was the only man in the valley who understood the duty of armor, he knew more than anyone about farming and blacksmithing, and he knew more about merchandising than anyone alive. Really? It's merchandising, merchandising, <laughs> merchandising, huh? And he had all this knowledge because he had dreamt it oh. into reality. Oh, But Young's further dreams of a Mormon nation started to disappear in 1848, after the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. Oh, oh God, Marcus, you literally... This is from social studies. <laughs> I just had, like, my eyes just cross, like, thinking gonna, about try, uh, trying was, to understand this guy. Like, trying to remember it. This is obviously a question I got wrong on a test in fucking high school. I actually wanted to quiz Ben. What is the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. Guadalupe Hidalgo. She <laughs> wanted to wear pants. And they said, no, no, no. And then they made a treaty that said she could wear jorts. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> People quote us in their college dissertation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for those of you who didn't pay attention in high school history, I do not right, know Mr. the answer Marks. to this. <laughs> Half of the modern day United States used to belong to Mexico. 
and after the Mexican-American War, we were given almost everything from Texas to California. Oh, that's the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. <laughs> so when do pants come into play? <laughs> I tell, yeah, telling me I'm a fucking idiot, Mr. Burton. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Like saying I won't make it in this fucking life, Mr. Burton. Said specifically, you you can't just joke around for a living. Yes. <laughs> you fucking. <laughs> no, if Marcus. He's sadly, he's, he's passed on, which is actually very oh, sad. Oh, that is too bad. If Marcus and I went to high school together, I'd be like, hey, Marcus, can you just move over a little bit to the left and put your paper to the right? Um, you know, <laughs> Just so I can, like, you know, just see if I'm correct. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a big deal. No, it'd be fun because then it turns like you got some joints for tonight, right? And you would say, I have got some joints. Yeah. Yeah, of course. A party, man. <laughs> I'm, see, I bring the good times yeah. after we both get to pass the test. Exactly. That's then we celebrate. Thing. Yeah, no, no. It is a quid pro quo, my it's friend. A but the inevitable conflict between the United States and the Mormons was still years away. And Young was quickly establishing a bloody authoritarian rule in Salt Lake City, all based on the doctrine of blood atonement. Ooh. To give you a quick refresher on the doctrine and how Brigham Young used it to justify murder, the Blood Atonement Doctrine said that apostates, anti-Mormons, and thieves could only be saved by ending their life on earth, which would give them a chance at redemption before they had the opportunity to sin even more. So it's state-sanctioned suicide? No, is that what he's calling for? State-sanctioned murder. murder. They're going to kill them. Religion-sanctioned murder. Uh Huh. It's preemptive saving a person's life. The way it could be interpreted is that if you look at people that you believe are on a bad road, Uh if you see them as that you can, as a sign of God's love, murder them as a way to release them from their what they will then stumble into more and more sins that will make them further and further away from the goal of getting to heaven. But isn't, isn't killing someone a sin? (laughs) <laughs> Not uh, if you're doing uh, it for the blood atonement, Kissel. Yeah. If they if they do it, it's legal. It's like being president because they're all a priest. Because also remember, true, uh, right? But that's a bit. But also, each man in the Mormon Church at this time is a priest of the church. Yeah. So they uh-huh. are given intrinsically these higher up powers that say like, well, when I act on this, like what we talked about with ISIS, I think just privately, if I act upon this uh, in the name of the Mormon church, I'm already a Mormon priest. So that means it's legal. That means it's totally fucking legit. Mm -hmm. The human mind is a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. And this doctrine came into play in 1849 when a young man named Ira West was brought in front of the high council for fraud. Now, Brigham Young's initial reaction to the evidence was to order a public execution, namely a beheading. Now, officially, Brigham... Fucking sweet. It's fucking intense. <laughs> Good Lord. Now, officially, Brigham Young backed down, and Ira West received a judgment of a $100 fine and excommunication. But even after the judgment, talk of beheading Ira West persisted in high council meetings. Now, it could be that the Mormons just let it go, but future behavior suggests otherwise. See, discussion of Ira West's possible execution abruptly stopped in high council meetings, and Ira West disappeared from history immediately thereafter. It is also possible that it was the Mormon people who killed Ira West rather than the establishment. Evoking blood atonement, Young publicly hinted that maybe someone would be doing Ira a favor if they murdered him before he had a chance to continue his sinful ways. 
Yeah, it's it it's very interesting to see how, but this to see how this policy would become like so firmly entrenched. Right, and Brigham Young's. Now, this, especially this time period, he's going to fucking come back to this again and again and again. This is his favorite atonement. Yeah. And Brigham Young was very good at just putting it out into the world. He just put it out in the world. And then when it came back, when an actual murder came back, he's like, I didn't do anything. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just, just saying. talking. I'm, yeah. just, I'm okay. just saying things. I'm just talking. But he is putting this out, this blood atonement thing, he's putting it out into the world over and over and over again, uh, telling the Mormons, this is okay. Right. To a group of people he has beaten pure obedience into. Yes. So he's already done the legwork to create a little army that he can then just kind of hint shit at. And then everybody's so up their own asses to make sure they can anticipate Brigham Young's needs to make sure that he's happy and make sure that their religion and all the aspects of the religion are fulfilled, that they just jump to it. Yeah. And this almost casual talk of murder when it came to apostates and anti-Mormons was also brought up in the journals of other high-ranking Mormons, such as Quorum of Twelve member Erastus Snow. These guys were talking about it in their journals. They were talking about it privately. We're like, this thing is true. This thing is good. And this thing is righteous. Mm. And these were just for petty crimes. The Mormons were, if not then, definitely later, murdering people for crimes no more serious than theft. Because the blood atonement doctrine allowed them to do so. At the same time, Brigham Young was settling into the life of an established polygamist. By 1850, Young had 20 children, and he built a long row of log cabins for his 12 favorite wives. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeez. That's a fun, that's a fun little apartment complex. I'm certain there's <laughs> no sign of a real housewives of Salt Lake City happening inside of those little log cabins. Must have been a strange competition there to get in that, to get in one of those log cabins. Mm-hmm. But some of Brigham Young's other wives ended up despising him. One, Augusta Adams, sarcastically referred to him as Lord Brigham, His Excellency, Mr. Proxy, and Alien. Hmm. For Brigham's part, Young just ignored the wives who didn't like him, and eventually, seven of them would dissolve their marriages. One former wife, Anne Eliza Young, wrote an expose called Wife Number 19, in which she claimed that the Danites that we spoke of in the last episode regularly murdered dissenters and church enemies. And from what I've read, the Danites are still functioning within Mormonism and that it's not, no one speaks of it, but it is, there is a group of people that are essentially like a Mormon secret police that go and handle these things. Brigham Young understood that he needed to have a main army. He needed to have his militia. And then, I mean, this is very far in saying it, but then he had to have his SS. He had to have... His fucking group of secret police. He needed to have a group of people that would do the dirty work that he just can't really come out and say for you to do because it can't come back to the profit because if it does, what that means is that we're setting up all these kind of paper trails for if somebody wants to come around and fuck with me at some point legally, they'd be able to. So basically, uh, Brigham Young is Tanya Harding, just suggesting to Jeff Galuli and his goon buddy that maybe Nancy Kerrigan should be taken out. And then when it happens, Tanya's just like, I just said it. I, don't, I, don't, I can't believe that actually happened. But I can already hear the reactions because Danites, that, it is a very controversial 
a topic within the Mormon world, especially in modern Mormonism, because yeah. they do not like talking about that being a an actual function of the church. Wait, and they publicly disavow it. The Mormons don't like to talk about their secret police. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't like to talk about their they secret police. They really don't. They don't. Huh? Weird. Well, the Danites uh, is something that a lot of Mormons say is just rumor. Uh, they say that a lot of it was just created by uh, people like Analyza Young, and there was another guy who uh, actually wrote a guy who was supposedly uh, a henchman of Brigham Young, a Danite henchman. Uh, he wrote like a whole memoir that was a bestseller back in the day. But, huh. you know, modern Mormons and a lot of Mormons say like, oh, well, that's just hooey. And if you can't believe a modern Mormon, <laughs> who can you believe? <laughs> well, polygamy was set to become a big part of the new government, although Young had not yet publicly supported it. See, the Mormons wanted to form their own state, which they called Deseret named after the Mormon word for honeybee. Aww. And President Millard Fillmore. <laughs> I love that guy. He is so funny with his little comic strips. Did he die fast? No. That Which was, is the one that died in 30 well, days? Yeah, Henry was, Harrison. It was Harrison, yeah. He was uh, ni- yeah. 19 days, I think, because yeah. he gave a speech in the rain like a brave boy, <laughs> but he didn't realize that um, medicine is real. Yeah. Well, when the Mormons wanted to form their own state, or at least their own territory, President Millard Fillmore surprisingly just said, whatever, just do what you want, I don't care, and he appointed Brigham Young as governor. What? Yep, <laughs> he, just, he made him entirely in charge of the with the North Upper California Territory. They let him just have it, because essentially he's like, all right, well, you guys will maybe figure out some bullshit like because we haven't set up all of this stuff, and Brigham Young's like, "Yeah, wait, you see how many toilets I put in? You'd be surprised where they go to. My bedroom." So President Mallard Fillmore, Millard Fillmore, Mallard Fillmore, Mallard Fillmore is the Fillmore fucking editorial is, cartoon, yes, which, is, which is, by the way, horrible. Um, uh, but so Mallard, Millard, 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 he just made him governor. Yeah, he just he made him no him. vote. He's just like, whatever. Yeah, do it. I don't care. Wow. But it came with a catch. Since the Mormons were now a part of the government, Millard Fillmore sent a federal employee named Alman Babbitt to oversee the establishment of the new territory. And Young immediately disliked Babbitt for what Young called his, quote, fancy tastes and pettifogging. <laughs> okay, what is a pettifogging? Uh, it just he means- just washed with soap. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just the, the action of being petty. Okay. But it, petty fogging is the, yes, it's a very fun word. Whatever. Yeah. Really, though, what Brigham Young disliked the most was that he was now a part of a bureaucracy. Ah. He now had to answer to people. He's and, no longer a king. Yes, and Babbitt was calling the Mormons out for some of their shoddy clerical work when it came to free and fair elections. To this, Young said, quote, and this is... A direct quote. Okay. I would rather stand here and cut throats than suffer lawsuits and technicalities. If you interfere with any of my dictation in the elections, it will be the last. You are shitting in my dish, and I will lick it out. And you too, buddy. He didn't add buddy at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, it works, though. (laughs) You are shitting in my dish, and I will lick it out. This is like straight up out of an Adam Sandler script where it's like, (laughs) I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. You eat pieces of shit for breakfast? This starts to sound like it's, it's, what's his name, from uh, There Will Be Blood. No, Daniel, yeah, Yeah. Plainfield, yeah, Daniel Plainfield, Yeah. yeah. 
Wait, he is he a he's a plain speaking man, dog meat. No, I've never <laughs> honestly we are plain speaking men and I have never once been like, I'll lick shit out of a dish if you keep on shitting in my dish. Shit in my dish, mixing shit. I eat the shit I brought from home. Now you're bringing some strange man shit into my shit dish. I'll eat it too. That's just a warning of how hungry I am when I come to a shit lunch. Do we have any actual evidence that Brigham Young truly was a scat man? <laughs> well, no, we don't have we don't have like pictures of him yumming up on some Duke. Okay. Yeah, yeah none of him like underneath a glass table. But I did see him. He did write in one of his journals. Eventually, though, Brigham Young's forceful personality won out, as it would dozens of times in the coming decades, and Babbitt sided with the Mormons. Others in the government, though, saw how dangerous Brigham Young actually was, and they left the state convinced that he should be removed from power. This partly had to do with the fact that in 1852, the Mormon Church finally went public with polygamy. Ah. In August of that year, Brigham Young admitted being a polygamist in the Deseret News, which is the same paper that later broke the Skimwalker Ranch story. Cool. Oh, cool. What Young said was that he had more wives than one, and he was not ashamed to have it known. He argued that the Mormons had every right to be polygamist because it was not only a religious freedom issue— but a territorial issue as well, hmm. states' rights. He went on to argue that if Congress did not have the ability to legislate which states could have slaves, then Congress could therefore not legislate which states could practice polygamy. And speaking of slavery, Young had no problem whatsoever in legalizing it in the territory. So Brigham Young literally was like, well, if you can own slaves, then why can't I own women slaves? You see? <laughs> yes. It's like the same thing. Marriage is like slavery, if you think about it. That was his, think that's how it. he equivocated. That's how he was, rationalized polygamy. Well, he it was more like you can't legislate slavery, so you can't so you can't tell people what to do with other human beings, so you can't tell me oh, what to do my in God. my marriage. Uh-huh. In fact, it was Young's virulent racism in particular that kept black people from attaining significant rank in the church until 1978. Jesus. He loudly and openly declared his support for slavery and was quoted as saying that if a white person miscegenated with a black person, the only way the white could achieve salvation was an old-fashioned beheading. But, you know, BYU actually has a great dance program. And that's, <laughs> and that's what we should be talking yeah. about right now. It's yeah. a great dance program. Back to dance. Back to dance, yeah. In fact, in 1866, a group of Mormon men murdered a Mormon former slave named Thomas Coleman just for courting a white woman. Jesus. They slit his throat from ear to ear so deeply they almost decapitated him and sliced open his right breast as well, which mimics the penalties we talked about in the last episode mm. when discussing temple rituals. But what the argument really came down to when it came to polygamy and states' rights and all that was that Brigham Young didn't really even believe that he was a part of the United States. He still believed that the Mormons were a sovereign nation. And oh, was, yeah, that was the goal. That was the goal altogether. Mm -hmm. The goal was to go and make sure we're completely isolated because in the end, mm -hmm. you're going to have to come and get us 
anyway. If yeah. you want to bring us back in the fold, you're going to have to fucking send people. I mean, Henry mentioned ISIS before, and I know the Mormons are not ISIS, but this is a caliphate. Yeah, and honestly, Brigham Young had the population to back it up. Damn. By the end of 1852, there were 20,000 Mormons living in Salt Lake City and the surrounding settlements. Ooh. And they even had their own currency. And Young was not afraid to order death and destruction in the name of his people. Even though early Mormon doctrine held that Native Americans were worthy of conversion. Because remember, Native Americans can turn white if they really want. If they hold you remember? If you hold your breath long enough and breathe really hard through your ears, yeah. you can even turn blue. <laughs> but even though you know, Mormon doctrine said, yes, you should convert Native Americans, Young had no problem in casually killing them. On one occasion, he ordered the murder of a large number of Utes after he became friendly with a rival Ute chief. And this casual attitude towards the murder of the Utes trickled down to the Mormon rank and file. Outside of modern-day Provo, a group of settlers murdered a Ute after they claimed he stole a shirt. Jesus. Then, afterwards, cut open his stomach, filled it with rocks, and sunk him to the bottom of the Provo River. This provoked a small war with the Ute people, and Young declared every Ute man fair game for murder, although the women and children would be spared if, in Young's words, they behaved themselves, implying that if they didn't, you could kill them too. And the Mormons heeded Young's word. In February of 1850, a group of Mormon militiamen disarmed and murdered a group of Utes and chased down the ones who tried to run and murdered them as well. Mm. The Mormons even decapitated the corpses and sent the heads to Washington for medical research. And the Mormons killed the Utes in indirect ways as well. They cleaned out Utah's natural resources, which caused starvation, and they spread deadly disease all over the territory. Which is how we always seem to fully beat down the Native Americans mm -hmm. is our weird English diseases. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and of course the... Uh the way that we just trample over their lands with things like a keystone pipeline, which mm. still happens to this day. Oh, yeah. It never ends. Finally, though, Brigham declared peace with the Utes while also petitioning the government to create a Ute reservation. And that reservation would eventually become the site of dozens of skimwalker sightings throughout the next century. Ooh. Interesting. I love how all these things come together. Yeah, oh, there's yeah. so many. I love history. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Brigham Young, again... What this does is, yes, he made peace, but this slowly dehumanizes the Gentile, anybody who is not a Mormon. It slowly but surely shows that Mormon lives are worth more than anybody else's life. Yeah. So it sets mm. a precedent, and eventually it leads to what we will cover at the end of this episode. But that's not to say that Brigham Young had forgotten about the actual religion of Mormonism, although it seems like polygamy was really becoming the focus here. Right. In 1853, the Mormons did break ground on the Great Temple of Salt Lake City. It took them decades to build the damn thing, but eventually they did. But at the same time, Young also built a new residence for what wives could still stand to be in the same room as the Lion of the Lord. That's what the Mormons call Brigham Young. Ugh, good lord. It the house was cool looking. Yeah. Because they built a house. He had like, because he had his house. He had the one where he stayed in by himself. Uh, which was, I guess, the nag-free zone. <laughs> and then he'd go over to the, his other house, the main lion house, which had this big lion statue on the top of it that was kind of dope looking. All right, very Al Bundy of him. Now, surprisingly, 
Brigham Young was quite liberal when granting divorces when they were requested by women, although that may have had more to do with him wanting to get rid of excess wives than it did with any sort of progressive view towards female agency. Whatever yeah, I it don't is. Think, whatever I don't think reason. I'd ever accuse him of being very progressive. <laughs> I just think it, it just whatever helps him. Yeah. So he's just like, yeah, yeah, get the fucking divorce. Yeah, get the hell out of here. But then you can just replace it with a new wife in a second. I yeah. mean, you could argue that a dookie fetish is progressive in its own way. <laughs> hmm. But although men were almost always rewarded custody of children, Young looked down on men who requested divorces. He said, quote, and again, this is another direct quote. When a man married a wife, he took her for better or for worse. And if she shit in bed and laid in it until noon, he must bear it. Mr. Young, I'm just going to say, <laughs> sir, you, you should grow to love it. Because sometimes some wives aren't as fun as some wives that will shit just wholly and, and consensually. Little Mr. funny Mr. little pillow of duke underneath them and they're just rolling it like it's a bunch of chocolate frosting that you get from a graveyard. I love the smell of a freshly shit-covered wife. I'm a devout follower still, sir. Just let her fart on you. I mean it. I mean it. Inoculate. Yourself to the smells of her buttocks. <laughs> so eventually you see you love them and it's just, it's a her love language for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that went on to become the great documentary, Fart Cake. <laughs> but what Brigham had very little problem with was granting marriages to men who wanted to marry what were essentially children. Young approved the marriages of 14-year-old girls without hesitation, but 13-year-olds... That gave him a little pause. See? Uh, a oh. little pause. Oh, now, see, it's a, now he did, see uh, he's now, nice. Now, he did approve the marriage of one 13-year-old, but gave this caveat. Go ahead, but leave children to grow. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. That's more disgusting than all the shit talk. <laughs> Leave children. So he recognized. So, but he, that means he recognized that that is a child. Mm -hmm. And then he's just like, but yes, you may marry her. And for, for, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Listen, I understand you want to marry her, but let her inflate a little bit. <laughs> and also, oh, after Mr. we covered the six year old story, the Natalia Gray story and side stories this week, I have how many emails we got of people being like, you know, six year olds can get pubic hair. I don't <laughs> even, yes, we will talk about that on side stories. It's, good lord. Ugh. The only time Brigham Young flatly denied a request like this was when a 73-year-old man requested a marriage with three girls aged 12 to 13. Now, the thing is, you're 73. This is just gross. <laughs> now, if you were maybe 45. Well, sure, that's fine. Hey, man, you're growing with these wives. Why have any dookie on the side of my mouth? Because I ate a lot of it that morning. However, it must be said Ugh. that even amongst the Mormons at this time, polygamy was relatively rare. Usually, it was only the men in leadership positions who were allowed to do it, while the rank and file had to remain satisfied with singular marriage. Well, it had a 
mystical connotation as well. Yeah. You had to, we learned a little bit from about the hermetic side of Mormonism is that you're building an army of wives for your afterlife, and it's also mimicking the celestial marriage of the, the planet slash human beings that were the original things that came out of the Kabbalah nothingness God. That, that that marriage and then consummation of that marriage created worlds. So it's that where Joseph Smith was way more ensconced in the actual mysticism, where Brigham Young was all about, like, you get this special thing because you're one of my inside guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. Strangely, though, polygamy was becoming a political football in Washington, D.C. Remember, the Civil War was only about a decade away at this point, and polygamy was being used as an example of what darkness could come with territorial sovereignty. Interesting. But on the pro-slavery side, you now had senators who were forced to defend polygamy, (laughs) because if the pro-slavers agreed that polygamy should be outlawed, then the pro-abolitionist side could catch them in a clever gotcha. See, if we're going to be on the wrong side of history, we should be on the wrong side of, like, all history. You know, all history. Like, all of the history. You know what we should be doing a lot more of is, um, oh, God, washing with piss. <laughs> yeah. Only because, I mean, uh, I mean, no one should be able to tell you not to do it. But that's true. I mean, That's it's true. Just, and it's sterile. Um, <laughs> and if you've been drinking a lot of creek water, sometimes it doesn't smell as much like piss. But, I learned from uh, an episode of this television show, Friends, that actually piss can, can heal you if you get bit by a jellyfish. <laughs> but really, none of this seemed to bother Brigham Young all that much. He was much too busy moving on to the next phase of a successful cult leader, relieving his followers of their money and property. Now that his followers were suitably isolated, he reinstated the previously failed principle of consecration, which requested church members to give any wealth and property they didn't quote-unquote need to the church, Mm -hmm. so that wealth might be redistributed. Now, of course... Very little money made its way to the needier Mormons, and this was not mandatory as less than half the church participated. But the Mormons still gave enough where Brigham Young lived in high comfort for the rest of his days. He became a fancy boy. Mark, what do you mean, Marcus? I thought that money was given to the church. It, it wasn't yeah. built for infrastructure. It wasn't <laughs> done. To, they, I mean, they didn't put up street lights. They didn't make bigger baptism baths for everybody to get in to really do it in an express kind of way or he may have made bigger baths actually <laughs> i could see that oh the opera glasses that brigham young bought oh the carriage oh my god bullies ensconced in leather that brigham young rode around in and that's a private jet by today's standards <laughs> during one move from salt lake city to provo brigham young was said to own several Tons of clothing and furniture, as well as a harp and two trombones. The thing is, when you love Dookie, it gets on your shirt, gets on your jeans, and you can't wash it out. So you need a new pair of jeans. You need a new shirt. Which is why I'm switching to an all-brown, monochromatic, sort of high-fashion choice. He became Elton John. Yeah. Oh, my God. Eventually, Young was worth the modern-day equivalent of millions. Jesus, as his people are dying, starving, being broke, working their asses off to build his uh, church. They are working really hard, but he also, because he spent so many years thinning the herd, I think that what he actually did was breed a community 
that believed that all of these things were proper and just. Yeah. So he actually, he kind of funneled it. Like, he did a thing where the, the more you, you take out the strains of DNA that are going to be people that are going to question the absolutist authority of Brigham Young, that you make it so they actually are happy. Yeah. toiling and well, and building a community for God because they believe that they're the only ones who have direct access to God. I know my church loved the sentence in the Bible, in the Bible, the meek will inherit the earth, which is not true. And also, <laughs> I'll never forget my mother when I was about 25, she said, she called me and she said, Ben, I think money right might really matter. It's like, yeah, I'm, we live in a capitalist society. <laughs> it is God. Well, the thing is, is that Brigham Young was not the only one getting rich off of this. I mean, there were a lot of Mormons that were making a lot of money out there in Salt Lake City. Because, you know, Brigham Young was still, he was trying to build a society. He was trying to build, it was not just about him, it was also about legacy. He He was was trying to build a a successful uh, country. He was like Biggie Smalls, giving ends to his friends. You know, he was trying to start a whole enterprise. So you got to have some people that are happy. Yeah. But... Brigham Young's greed also resulted in a massive amount of death. Mm. See, there were still thousands of European immigrants coming to Salt Lake City, and there were no railroads just yet to easily bring all these guys out west. That was post-Civil War. So Brigham figured that the most cost-effective way to bring these people to Utah, just make them walk. And in order for them to bring all their shit with them, make them pull handcarts. That they have to make themselves across thousands of miles of American frontier, no matter what time of year. I mean, that was when the first icy was created with the person (laughs) who had the first icy truck. Remember those? I remember those. Oh, yeah. But Marcus, you don't understand. They got to at least buy the handcart making Ikea-like setup (laughs) from the Mormons first, though. Yeah. So that's important. They did provide these things that you had to build yourself and he did put out this whole series of like he pitched it where he being like you can make it across the 1000 miles all you need to do is if you can really push it up to 20 to 30 miles a day you can make it so easily like he he they had a whole kind of program where they'd meet you at the at the first leg of the trip and be and like they meet you in Missouri yeah yeah and be like here you go go out there buddy you're going to love it actually beautiful mountains Beautiful views, nothing most incredible trails. You're on a lot of your entire trip to Salt Lake City, and then all of a sudden they get them out there, and then they are fucked. Yeah. You imagine trying to put together an Ikea cart with 33 wives looking at you like you're a fucking moron? <laughs> yeah, I mean, these hand carts, they were just made of wood. There was Jeez. no iron involved because iron was just a little bit more expensive, even though iron was the thing that they needed to pull these carts across the in- half of the fucking country, walking Jeez. across half of the country. Oh, it yeah. was a 30-mile-a-day journey that lasted 60 days Ooh. on average. And these were mostly city folk from England. They had no knowledge whatsoever on how to survive on the American frontier. Now, I can't tell if his card is rickety or if it's my bones. Either way, I'm tired as hell. Now, many of them did make it, but one expedition in particular resulted in dozens of deaths. Just like the Donner Party, this expedition left too late in the year, Mm. and they didn't make it to Salt Lake City before winter hit. Many died from starvation, and others 
just drop dead on the trail while still pulling their carts. It, it got so cold out on the plains that flesh began freezing and falling from the bones Ooh. of the settlers. And although there was no known cannibalism, this expedition, which is now known as the Handcart Tragedy, had a death count that dwarfed that of the Donner Party. Wow. Out of the 600 converted Mormons that set out for Missouri, 150 died before rescue wagons met them with more supplies. And all of these people died trusting that the Mormons who met them in Missouri knew what they were doing. Mm. But as far as Brigham was concerned, none of this was his fault. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, weird. Isn't that strange? <laughs> he said, quote, My skirts are clear of their blood. Few have suffered severely, though some had their feet and hands more or less frosted. More. <laughs> the answer, why would the lady? It is more frosted. Because at one point they I had tell no you frost what. on their hands, and then they have a bunch of it. People are upset about being cold, but have you tried being hot? <laughs> from your grave. Ah, Jules. Oh, Jules. Make a wife smile today. The road to getting engaged can be long and full of memories and pitfalls and landmines. Or it can be short and thrilling, like a roller coaster on the way to the police department. But the road to finding the perfect engagement ring is a straightforward path every time. All you've got to do is head over to BlueNile.com and they're going to ship them rocks straight to your wife's new fingers. On BlueNile.com, you can create a bigger, more brilliant piece than you can imagine. At a price you won't find at a traditional jeweler, Blue Nile is the original online jeweler since 1999. That's present time to me. Their diamond price guarantee means that in most cases they can meet or beat a competitor's price on a comparable diamond. I know when I got my wife a beautiful Blue Nile necklace, the first thing she did was, what did you do? But afterwards, she was so happy to have it, and she loved it, and she wore it when we went on vacation, and my own did everybody come around being like, where'd you get that piece, you beautiful woman? And I was like, stop talking to my wife. She's spoken for. You can see it with the Blue Nile bling she's got on her. Right now, get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. That's $50 off with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. 
Now, like Joseph Smith, Brigham Young never partook in the more extreme violence himself, as far as I can tell. But unlike Joseph Smith, Young relished in ordering violence, and blood atonement was becoming a deeply held belief of the Mormon people. Hmm. In October of 1856, a group of Mormons castrated a Welsh immigrant named Thomas Lewis after he'd almost killed a Mormon with a shovel. But it wasn't the attempted murder that got him castrated. See, a local Mormon bishop was competing with Thomas Lewis for the affections of a young woman. And that bishop had ordered the castration while Thomas Lewis was being transported from one jail to another. Okay. So Lewis was dragged out of the wagon, a blanket was put over his head, and they cut out his testicles, leaving him to bleed and suffer before someone found him. Four days later. Damn. Yeah, they took me nuts! <laughs> they took me fucking nuts! <laughs> Sir, what was that about nuts? They took your nuts? The Mormons took me fucking nuts! Oh, uh, yes. As I look down, I see they took your nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that just makes me miss Welsh cakes. Oh, yeah. really? God, I that- love... A man getting castrated. <laughs> but he was from Wales. I know that uh. part. <laughs> What's another word for balls? Nuts. Remember that? <laughs> Uncle Buck. <laughs> well, soon after that, Brigham Young explicitly ordered the murder of two horse thieves, saying they were likely to spread false rumors about the Mormons in California, although those men did end up escaping. Building on this proclamation, another bishop decided that murder would be the best solution for a former Mormon who was supposedly planning on skipping town because of unpaid debts to other Mormons. And these fucking Mormons should even be talking about unpaid debts. That's all they've done. <laughs> they take a bunch of money and never pay it back ever, and they try to make up their own fucking cash. They don't even do it. And he wasn't going to be killed because he's defected from the church. He would be killed for skipping. <laughs> Now, according to the blood atonement, <laughs> this man, what? Very good. And it was Sometimes good. I just feel myself becoming Paul Shear from Letterman, yes. and uh, I don't know. They, I'm not yeah, sure if they, it's good uh, or not. They murdered him for skipping. It's for skipping. <laughs> I'll go back to playing music now. Thank you. Now, according to the blood atonement, this man was an apostate, which by extension meant that he was fair game for murder. And before this particular incident was said and done, that man and two of his associates were dead. Oof. Now, you'd think that all this rampant vigilante murder would be what attracted the attention of the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. But what really pissed off Washington was nothing more exotic than political appointments. What? Again, what? <laughs> the U.S. government doesn't react to something that everything's obviously a problem, but it's as soon as it fucks with their jurisdiction, it seems like they get really, really mad about it. Weird. Hey, yeah. buddy, 12 people have died from vaping, okay? <laughs> and if we don't clear the streets of these chunky clouds today, every child will be dead by 2021. See, Brigham Young wanted an all-Mormon legislature for the territory. He wanted that to be a law. You had to be a Mormon to serve on that territory's legislature. Mm. And he told the U.S. government in so many words that he and his people would not accept anything else. Now, this was not what you'd call a time of peace for the country. This was 1857. The Dred Scott decision had just come down, bleeding Kansas was in full swing over slavery, and government officials were literally beating each other with canes on the floor of the Senate. 
Back when they were honest. <laughs> yeah. That's what they, if they could just get it out. I do believe if they, because that's what we liked about watching a lot of the UK news, was they really get to scream at each other. Oh, they do. In parliament. Yeah. And they really need to get it out. We need to set up like a wrestling thing where like Lindsey Graham can get himself all fucking hard and, and he can get in there and see who's willing to get at him. You know what I mean? If they're willing to tangle with the limbs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lindsey Graham would be a lot like, Lindsey Graham would be a lot like Andy Kaufman wrestling with the ladies. He has to tape down his erection, but of course, he's not wrestling ladies <laughs> he's wrestling men and on top of all that the government now had to deal with the mormons out in utah essentially being an open rebellion against the united states so president buchanan sent 2500 troops to utah to remove brigham young as governor in response to word that the army was coming brigham young reinstated the nauvoo legion recruiting boys as young as 14 to fight a trained military force and he started covertly stockpiling ammunition but while all this was happening a tragedy struck the Mormon people that would send shockwaves through all of Utah. Around the same time that the army was mobilizing, Mitt Romney's great-great-grandfather, Parley Pratt, was murdered in Arkansas. No! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no! (laughs) It's bad. He was murdered. Oh, wow. Oh, no. I'm going to light a candle. (laughs) Well, it turned out... Parley had married a woman in Arkansas who was already married. And when Pratt and his new wife were in the process of absconding, this woman's first husband pulled Pratt into a thicket of trees, stabbed him three times, and shot him in the neck. Dog, that's what happens, man. You out in the fucking pen, dude? You out in the fuck? You don't expect some guy's gonna kick, 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 get you, bro? <laughs> like, getting a little bit of this, this, stick, 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 trying to come I, up with my piece, dude? I don't know why it applies, but you can't triple stamp a double stamp. <laughs> oh, yeah, good. At least that that is 90s. At least we're up into the 90s. Yeah. We're, this is great, because <laughs> you're start, you starting to sound like a bathroom reader. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hip. I'm cool. That's from the, that's from 2000. You're going, no, that's 96. That's also 96. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Now, this action, the murder of Parley Pratt, didn't necessarily have much of an effect on Brigham Young personally because Pratt had married outside of Young's authorization. About the murder, Brigham said, quote, I was glad for it, for he paid the debt he owed. But Young was also never one to let an opportunity pass. Although he believed that Pratt got what he deserved, he still used the murder as inspiration to pump up the Mormons, comparing it to the vigilante murder of Joseph Smith. Mm. And Young needed his men ready, because the army was well on its way to Utah. This was fucking serious. Yeah, dude. And they were they were coming. And he's ramping it up. Because so part of what he used to the one the first wave of this shit was like no trading any goods with Gentiles. Nothing outside no old any Mormon fucking uh acquisition, anything we have they want, we're not selling it to anybody. So we first he shut off that that vein mm. where he's pumping it up, but then he keeps turning up the heat just to see how much farther the U.S. government will go. Mm-hmm. And this whole thing was perfect for Buchanan because Buchanan was hoping the Mormons would distract the country from the whole slavery thing. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Because Buchanan was still thinking like, oh, this is going to calm down. Of course. Eventually. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, this is all going to blow over. We just kind of got to make it through the hard times. But this is one of those, like, wag the dog bullshit, 
Like, it's always been this way. Yeah. It's always been this way. They use this issue as a distraction issue to say, like, we're going to go wipe out this cult that's taken over our states. And, like, that's the whole thing that everybody can rally behind. I don't think you understand, Henry. Twelve people have died from vaping. <laughs> I, are, you, are you not? I saw a map, and there was black, there was red over every state. Yeah, because every state has had complaints about vaping. Has had complaints. Yes, and, but and so, if, if we don't take immediate action, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, I pray for the family of Joe Camel. <laughs> I pray for that family and what they've been through. Well, meanwhile, the Mormons were battening down the hatches. Brigham Young was preparing for total war with the United States, instructing his people to clear their fields, quote, to bury strangers in. Damn. They started burning down their crops and shit. Yeah. They started, it's like, they were like, fuck it. We're going to, like, when they come here, they're going to find nothing. Yeah. Damn. Young claimed that the Mormons would be able to kill as many soldiers as the government was willing to send. And he fully prepared Salt Lake City for a seven-year siege, Mm. telling his people that the final war of extermination was coming. People, in other words, were freaked out. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And this is fucking mwah for a cult. Oh. This is just ooh, so good. Because no, the government is really coming for you. This mm-hmm. is Jim Jones right. with the fucking senator showing up mm-hmm. with the people sit like this is this is huge. And he's getting them all ready. Cause again, I just bought seven years of fucking full on cult time. Right. Because now y'all are gonna prepare for this this whole fucking like for an entire siege. And now I really, really gotcha gotcha. Yeah. But the mass murder that was coming to Utah would not be committed by the U.S. Army, nor would the victims of said mass murder be Mormons. Rather, the Mormons would be the perpetrators, and the victims, innocent men, women, and children. In other words, it's finally time to get into the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Damn, all right. In September of 1857, a group of 150-odd immigrants from Arkansas in 30 wagons were passing through Mormon territory on their way to California. Now, Mormons were none too trusting of these people from Arkansas, seeing how Parley Pratt had just been murdered there. And since the opportunity for blood atonement for Parley's murder necessitated a trip to the other side of the country, the Mormons suddenly felt pretty lucky to have a convenient proxy on their own home turf. The wagon train's first encounter with the Mormons came in Nephi, near central Utah. A local bishop requested that the train move along because they were destroying his winter feed pastures. And soon, word of Arkansas settlers in Mormon territory spread. The Mormons also refused to trade with the Arkansas Company because, as Henry said, Brigham Young had forbidden all trade with the Gentiles due to the upcoming war with the United States. And this only furthered the divide between the Mormons and everyone else. It set them completely apart. Mm. They were sitting ducks because they showed up with all their bullshit. They have their entire lives in these wagons and they're trying to get through and they're getting like... Because they didn't know what to hear. Because they knew for a while, I really believe that Mormons were very accepting of people because they were trying to pad their numbers. So they showed up thinking like, oh, like we'll get harbor with them. We'll do all this kind of shit. And they were just getting a surprising amount of cold shoulders as soon as they arrived. Mm -hmm. A lot of side eyes. 
So the Arkansas company moved on to Corn Creek, where they traded with a couple of Utes. Somehow, a false rumor after this trading got started that the Arkansas company had poisoned both the creek and the ox that they had traded to the local tribe. And where it also began to spread about how these settlers from Arkansas had wagons loaded with valuable goods worth about a hundred grand in today's money. But what happened next is possibly the most debated subject in existence amongst frontier historians. That's because nobody really knows the full truth about the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Now, Larry McMurtry does a fantastic job trying to undo the knot in his book on frontier massacres called, Oh, What a Slaughter! He loved it. He really loved it. Which was helpfully recommended to me by my father. Thank you, Dad. Oh, very nice, Mr. Parks. Thank you so much, good sir. Oh, yes. But not even McMurtry could come up with anything definitive. And while we do know where the mass grave is, the state government of Utah has routinely blocked attempts to excavate it and forensically study the remains. Ah, come on. Only once, in 1999, when the grave was first discovered, did forensic scientists get their hands on at least some of the remains. Mm. But only a tiny fraction of the bones were examined before the governor, who just happened to be a descendant of one of the massacre participants, shut it down. No kidding. No way! Weird! Whoa! What Meanwhile, we... all of the people at the scientists would be like, bring us the bones. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, yes, we have our associate who's here. He's helping us to get some of these, the, some of this evidence from the massacre. Mr. Bone Splitter? Mr. Bone Cleaver? <laughs> yes! I brought thousands of bones! <laughs> scientists are cool. What we do know, though, is why the settlers stopped at Mountain Meadows. Along with the wagons, the settlers also had about 1,600 head of cattle, and Mm. the meadows was a perfect place to let the herd graze. And Brigham Young was well aware that the Arkansas Company was there. The day before the massacre, Brigham sent a letter to the leader of the Southern Utah Mormons, Elder Isaac Haight, who was in charge of the Mountain Meadows area. And although Brigham Young explicitly told Haight that he must not meddle with the settlers... Brigham followed that statement with this sentence. The Indians, we expect, will do as they please. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. It is funny that he actually wrote in the (laughs) wink, 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 wink. (laughs) Furthermore, it's possible, if not likely, that the letter either wasn't delivered at all or was delivered well after the massacre began. And some think there may have even been a second letter sent while the non-meddling letter was sent as cover. Now, there's Mm. no proof that Young ordered this massacre. And honestly, I'm not necessarily inclined to believe that Young ordered it, because this was a fantastically risky move for very little gain, at least relatively so. But even if Brigham Young did not give the order, the environment that he had cultivated ensured that the men who participated in the massacre felt no hesitation in murdering Gentiles, specifically Gentiles from Arkansas. Well, they've already been dehumanized completely. So you have a group of people here that you're saying are eating your resources. You uh, have a blood atonement to get to. Yeah. 
Right, you're, you got to get to it. You're looking at these people, and you feel like uh, maybe we could help them from their own sins. I don't think you'd need a, an actual command from Brigham Young because he's mm-hmm. already done it. Well, Blood Atonement could have been the spark here, or Brigham Young could have been using the age-old cult tactic of spicing things up with murder. We don't know. He might have sent the he might have sent the order. He probably didn't, but fuck, he might have. Mm. But most likely, the main motivation was probably greed. Plain and simple. Mm -hmm. The settlers had a lot of cattle. They had a lot of goods. And the Southern Mormons wanted it. They were, and since the Arkansas settlers were Gentiles, who gives a shit? And they're not getting a lot of trade because they have, since they have also cut off the American government, they're also not getting shit that they need. So now they're getting a whole bunch of free shit to show up in our territory and we can kill them and God loves it. Great. Yeah, it's a perfect storm. But no matter what the reason behind the massacre actually was, the first shots began on the morning of September 7th. See, the Southern Mormons had allied themselves with the Paiute tribe, and when the settlers looked out there who was shooting them, it appeared to be a Paiute raiding party. Mm. Because uh, what I've read, because what I read was that they landed, right? So they got sent to the Mountain Meadows area that ended up being very beautiful. And apparently when they arrived, they were so tired they from the long travel that they had set up camp but they didn't do the customary circling of the wagons where they didn't set up a, a perimeter like they normally do they kind of just all flopped and fell asleep and they they were like all right we'll set shit up in the morning but then pop 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 they woke up to getting shot at mm. yeah and what this meant is that when they finally did circle the wagons they did not have a substantial water supply anywhere near them. They Damn. hadn't done their due diligence. But as the siege continued, the settlers started to notice that out of the 250-so Paiutes attacking, a good number of those guys out there obviously had white skin under their war paint. Hmm. Now, this deception was the brainchild of a Mormon named Major High Higby. Higby had reasoned that it would be a bad look if it was just Mormons attacking the settlers. So he blended his men with the Paiutes to make it a little more palatable because the initial plan probably wasn't to kill everyone. Apparently, these people haven't heard about cultural appropriation <laughs> because that, my friend, is the... That's a little problematic. That's a little okay. problematic. Yes, you can kill people, but you do it as your own person. But as the siege went on, it was becoming obvious to the Mormons that they weren't going to overtake the wagon circle by force. And since Mountain Meadows was a relatively well-trodden trail, it was only a matter of time before other people showed up, possibly even the army itself. Hmm. What was more, the settlers had obviously seen Mormons fighting with the Paiutes. Or they may not have known they were Mormons, but at the very least, they're white people. We're in Utah. They're probably Mormons. Right. And if those settlers were let go, then it wouldn't be long before punishment truly rained down on Utah. Okay, so they're not going to take the Arkansasians by force. Do they take them by dance? (laughs) (laughs) Just pump it in. When we were in Berlin, that's all you have to do. If you want to get a group of Germans to go anywhere, you just put a a giant set of speakers on a van blast and EDM, and they will just 
goth rave. They, <laughs> honestly, in Berlin, it was amazing because we were there during the climate march, uh-huh. and they were literally signs, raving to save the climate. I don't know if that's how you're going to do it, but they were a delight. Three o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> six vans with huge speakers all blasting a different EDM DJ, oh, and great. every van, 20 <laughs> Germans <laughs> behind <laughs> it, just fucking <laughs> dancing their asses off. <laughs> Now, we don't know who came up with the plan to commit the massacre specifically, or who, if anyone from above, gave the order to go through with it. But the Mormons knew they had to get the settlers off the main path where the whole thing could be ended somehow. Hmm. So they took off their war paint and used themselves as decoys to offer the settlers safe passage. They claimed to be friends of the Paiutes, and they offered to negotiate a peace and escort the settlers to nearby Cedar City. And all the settlers would have to do, hand over their guns. Oh, that's it. Now, if the settlers hadn't been cut off from water, they probably wouldn't have gone along with this deal, because they knew the Mormons had been right alongside the Paiutes shooting at them for four days straight. But the settlers had a lot of kids. And while grown men and women might be able to survive a siege until someone came along to help, the kids probably wouldn't. So the settlers took the deal. Four days after the siege began, on the morning of September 11th, the settlers turned over their weapons. The women and children were marched out ahead while the men were made to stay behind with the Mormons. Mm. The Paiutes laid in wait. And after the men were marched a suitable distance, Major Higby appeared on the ridge ahead, waved his arms, and shouted something that sounded like, Do your duty. At that moment, the Mormons turned their guns on the settlers and murdered each and every one of them with shots to the head. Mm. Those that didn't die immediately had their throats cut. So, as Larry McMurtry put it, the atoning blood could flow more freely. And at the same time that the men were being murdered, the Paiutes came out of hiding and slaughtered the women and every child above the age of seven by bludgeoning them to death. A man named John Doyle Lee actually joined the Paiutes in this, chasing down one little girl himself and slitting her throat, while two other young girls were raped and murdered on sight. After it was all said and done, at least 120 innocent settlers were murdered, although some estimates put it as high as 140. And as soon as the killing was done, the Mormons and the Paiutes cut ears from bodies for the earrings, Mm. cut fingers from hands for the jewelry, and stripped the dead of all their clothes. As many as 140 bodies were left to rot naked in two piles on the grounds of Mountain Meadows. And by the time the next travelers came down the road two weeks later... The corpses had been ripped apart by animals. The only survivors were 17 children, all under the age of seven, saved because according to Mormon belief, they had not yet passed out of the age of innocence. These children were just given to Mormon families, although eventually some were returned to Arkansas. Mm. Now, hey, my question... Now, is there, there's a lot of shush, quotation marks 
throughout this entire thing because of the uh, because we only know about this from uh, witnesses that believe that they were a part of it. Like John Doyle Lee would go on and be the guy that say the Mormons were the ones that did this mm. because they were the official line is that Paiutes reacted alone essentially. Isn't the idea that weren't many of these so-called Paiutes a large percentage of them were Mormons in makeup? Uh, no. Uh, it was about 200 Paiutes and about 50 Mormons. Um, now, it was that you, we know that f- to be sure. We don't know that 100% to be sure. But what we do know uh, comes from the forensic evidence from the 1999 excavation. Mm-hmm. They were not able to uncover every single body, but they were able to uncover about 18 bodies. And out of those bodies, the men... Uh, had gunshot wounds to the head. The women were bludgeoned. And we know that Mormons used guns while the Paiutes used blunt weapons, like they used blunt instruments. And so John Doyle's, uh, Doyle's, or at least the people that were there, their testimony that the Mormons killed the men, the Paiutes killed the women and children, uh, that at least holds true somewhat. But we don't know 100% for sure because they were not allowed to examine all of the bodies. But the Mormons made this seem like they were under attack, right? No, Isn't the, the, the what... Mormons made this seem like that they weren't even there. Because the, uh. the, official call, the official line from the Mormons was that uh, the Paiutes had murdered these settlers because the settlers had given them a poisoned ox. So this is, okay, truly, so. Right. This is truly a hate double shot, where yeah. it's like you get to kill a bunch of people, and then you also get to blame it on a minority group. Yeah, and you also get to be disloyal to a minority group that you uh, were supposed to be allied with. Triple shot. Yeah, absolutely. Technically, they weren't minority then. We were the minority, yeah. but that's not good. It's just they were hated. Yeah. <laughs> we, they were just hated. Yeah. And so it was easy to position ourselves against them because they were. Uh, we distrusted them because we were stealing their lands, uh. and they were upset about it. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Now, supposedly, Brigham Young was told about the massacre as soon as word could reach him. But according to John Doyle Lee, Brigham Young said this. I have made that matter a subject of prayer. I went right to God with it and asked him to take the horde vision from my sight if it was a righteous thing that my people have done in killing those people on Mountain Meadows. God answered me, and at once the vision was removed. I had evidence from God that he had overruled it all for good, and the action was a righteous one, and well intended. Well, isn't that what I'd call a coinkid? <laughs> yeah. so interesting how he's just like... Oh, I lost it. I lost it. Now, this massacre could very well have spelled the end of Mormonism. If Ugh. anything, it could easily be compared to Jim Jones ordering the murder of Congressman Leo Ryan in Guyana, which led to the massacre in Jonestown. And there's no chance that Brigham Young would have forced a mass suicide like Jim Jones did. But a big big push from the U.S. government could have easily led to the deaths of thousands all across Utah. But the Mountain Meadows Massacre did not happen in 1978 like Jonestown did. This was 1857. There were no camera crews, there was no instantaneous communication, Mm. and there were no real forensic investigative bodies. Mm. As such, the Mormons faced no significant repercussions as a result of the massacre. Well, you heard Brigham. God took it from his brain. His <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so it's cool. I can't even think about it. Why would I even think about it? I can't think about it. It's been taken from me. It took 18 years <sighs> for anyone to be punished. And even then, 
the Mormons offered up only John Doyle Lee as a scapegoat, who was found guilty and taken out to Mountain Meadows, where he was executed by a firing squad. So one man did it. One man. And by the way, all Mormon jury. Now, the reason why it took 18 years was because Brigham Young formed rank immediately following the massacre. He proclaimed that any Mormon who didn't support the official story, which was that the Paiutes did it because of a poisoned ox, and that Mormon would, quote, Die a dog's death, and be damned, and go to hell. Damn, all three. And be stinky, <laughs> have stinky breath. <laughs> and he won't be able to dance. What? And I won't allow him to see, uh, oh, isn't that mystery singer song on show on tonight? <laughs> he won't be able to see that. Whoa. And I'll spoil the ending for him, and I'll tell you who it was. It was Kato Kalin. Whoa, Kato Kalin. <laughs> and the most ridiculous part about all of this was that it was starting to become clear that the army wasn't going to come after all because they had run into supply problems in Wyoming, and their march had slowed to a crawl. The Great Mormon War that seemed destined to predate the American Civil War never came to pass. Brigham Young had whipped his people into a bloodthirsty frenzy for nothing, and 140 people died horrific deaths as a direct result. What's even worse was that the Mountain Meadows Massacre set a new template for frontier slaughter. At least four copycat attacks occurred in the wake of Mountain Meadows, most of which involved rape, death, and gougings. Not gougings! (laughs) What is gouging of eyes or something? Gouging of eyes, yes. The gouging of eyes. Because they spiritually then can't be witnesses. I know it's ridiculous to say, but that's a part of... When you see with serial killers, when they remove those types of things or they cover the face, it's about not being seen. Right. But even with the massacre hanging over his people's heads, Brigham Young was still waging what war he could against the United States because the army had not quite stopped their advance just yet. Porter Rockwell, who, if you'll remember, had been Joseph Smith's assassin in the attempted murder of Missouri Governor Lilburn Boggs became one of Brigham Young's main thugs, and Rockwell spread murder across the Salt Lake Valley. When word got around that traders were in Utah Territory hoping to sell to the U.S. Army, Porter Rockwell captured them and led the group 100 miles south of Salt Lake City, where he killed four out of the six merchants. But when the Army was only a 12-day march from Salt Lake City, winter settled into Wyoming and the army got stuck for the season. Mm. This sudden change in weather likely saved the thousands of lives Brigham Young was willing to spend on Mormon sovereignty. As such, the winter gave Brigham Young time to settle down, and it gave the United States the opportunity to send a skilled diplomat named Thomas Kane to broker a peace with the Mormon people. Eventually, the army entered the territory, and Brigham Young was stripped of his political offices, although not a goddamn thing was ever done about the Mountain Meadows Massacre apart from the token execution of John D. Lee. Oh, it reminds me of Ted Kennedy when he was like, oh my god, because of Chappaquiddick, I could never run for president. And it's like, <laughs> oh, what a travesty oh, after you murdered oh, that woman. No. Brigham Young even visited the site of the Mountain Meadows Massacre himself in 1861 and as a final arrogant fuck you, he ordered the meager memorial that had been built on Mountain Meadows destroyed. Yeah, he showed up. He saw the sign. He gave the sign of the, the Masonic sign of due action, which is the uh, squared arm 
And then he went and destroyed the entire thing. Damn. But at the very least, Young's last years on Earth were beset by painful maladies. He claimed to suffer from, quote, deranged bowels and hemorrhoids. (laughs) (laughs) But that's just what happened to our friend Eddie. That's not that bad. Yeah, it comes from living like shit. Eating nothing but just just bear grease. Yeah, they said that uh, Brigham Young's waist at its largest, 45. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Brigham Young was forced to use enemas that he mixed with consecrated oil. The same oil mm. that they used in rituals, Brigham Young was shooting up his ass. So this makes it not gay, right? <laughs> this is like, it's not gay? Shoot it up my ass. What do I have to, do I have to tell you twice? Oh, I God. need to make my colon as slippery for Jesus Christ as possible. Okay, Mr. Young, bend over. Do you want to play Here Comes the Torpedo or do you want to play Here Comes the Bullet? I'm not bending over. I'm not a chair. You do it while I'm standing. Okay. Well, then that's here comes the torpedo. You're getting it all over my legs. <laughs> and Brigham Young never stopped being a dick. When the Civil War finally came, the Mormons just waited it out. See, Brigham believed that society would be better off without any black people at all free or slave. As far as he was concerned, he could take or leave slavery, so it didn't really matter who won. All he really cared about at this point was making Utah a state while still retaining polygamy. You know, sometimes you gotta make a decision. <laughs> yeah, and the I Civil would, War, I think that's, Civil a, War, that's a time to take a stand. That's one of those times, yeah. yeah. But as long as polygamy was a part of the Mormon church, Utah was never gonna be a state. Really, the only benefit the Mormons got from the Civil War was that the government was too busy to truly prosecute the bigamists in Utah. But once the Civil War was over and done with, the United States turned its eye towards true Western expansion. And it just wouldn't do to have a huge population of polygamous weirdos right where the railroads had to be built. Ah. Yeah, dude. Just too many wives, too few cars. You're getting out there, everybody, you don't know who's single or not. Nobody, I mean, everybody's married five or six times. Everybody's freaky, eating shit all the time. You got one guy whose his bowels are all deranged. <laughs> so, for years upon years afterwards, bill after bill came through Congress to try to get the Mormons to abandon polygamy. They were just at a stalemate. Although the Mormons were usually able to kill the bills uh, with a well-placed bribe. Mm. But, by the 1870s, Brigham Young was starting to show signs of seriously failing health. His urological system was breaking down, and he had to use a catheter lubed up with what else but consecrated oil to urinate. Yeah, fish it up there. You know what I'm saying? You know what I've even said is, what's the point of even having a cock if I can't get to the piss fast enough? Same with an asshole. What I'm hoping is that at some point, we human beings would evolve to laying one big type of egg that was filled with shit and piss that I could just get at easily. Because all of this, all of this cock is just keeping my piss from coming out. Oh my so get God. the well, so get the- that tube right up to the bag of piss inside of the middle of me, please, just so I can really express it out of it. So the only job. Justice we get here is he's got a catheter in his cock and an enema in his butt. I mean, deranged bowels. People uh, love it, though. It's not even a punishment. No, there's this a whole of our grandfathers have. That's what we're going to have. Yeah. There's so many neighborhoods of, of cities, Denver, San Francisco, where you go and they want, they want these things inside of them. <laughs> <laughs> and Brigham Young never stopped being a hypocrite. Uh, when one of his wives divorced him in 1873 and sought $1,000 a month in alimony, 
Young argued that he didn't owe her a goddamn thing because their marriage wasn't technically legal. See? Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> and that's where he's got you legally. I see. Okay. But finally, Brigham Young's body revolted against itself. On August 23rd, 1877, Young collapsed, vomiting and shitting himself, and his appendix burst two days later. Six days after that, the Lion of the Lord was dead. Damn. You know, I'm not for big game hunting, but (laughs) I do think this lion deserved to die. Polygamy continued in Utah for another 13 years before the United States finally figured out a way to legally seize all church property and assets unless the Mormons renounced polygamy completely. And by some extraordinary coincidence, God changed his mind about polygamy right around the same time. And Utah finally became a state in 1890. And around this time, blood atonement was officially denied and repudiated by the church as well. But there were some in the Mormon communities who believed that both blood atonement and polygamy were essential parts of Mormon belief. And those people used those doctrines to justify horrific crimes about a century later. Mm. And those are the people we'll cover in the conclusion to our saga on Mormonism. Woo! There it is, folks. Mormonism, part five. We will be going in to the 20th century on Mormonism, Mm -hmm. part six. Wow, that is absolutely incredible. I cannot believe there is still a university with this man's name on it, (laughs) and there are active children being like, that's where I want to go. Learn about life. <laughs> it is a bet lesson we learned last week. The idea of starting right. They are. They have such a. It's a troubled history. Yeah. If you imagine if we actually got a modern view of how Christianity was birthed, yeah. I imagine we would see a lot of the same. This is something. It, it's it's interesting to see how it goes. And now next week when we cover this kind of modern incarnation, like. Well, I think we'll talk a little bit about the fact that, you know, Mormonism has done its best to change. The whole point is that they're trying to be more legit. They're trying to be more liberal. They're trying to add more to the conversation so they can finally have a president one day because that's what they really want because it's been Joseph Smith's secret wish since the very beginning. It seems like they're only changing because society is like forcing them to change. If they had their way, they would still be doing child brides and 35 wives. That's the entire thrust of Mormonism is that they they sway like the reed in the wind. Also, my first comedy special will be called Child Wives and Child Brides. And 35 wives. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, but then next week, what we're going to see is these, the, we're going to cover two specific stories a little bit, as much as we fully can, that show how in modern times, these little fringe Mormon uh, systems, they still create mayhem that is mm. completely ordained by the church, even if they kind of go, oh, I'm not seeing it. Mm. I don't know what's happening over there. It's still in many ways uh, another like little f- slippery little fingers yeah. of the Mormon church. And on the next episode, I'm assuming we will be discussing uh, a character that the U.S. Justice Department was able to... Uh 
Uh, get ready to yeah. go to San Angelo next week, boys. Oh, All yeah. right. Well, speak, speaking of traveling. <laughs> it's a ki- weird one. King of the Segway, Ben Kissel, put on your cap. <laughs> speak, speaking of traveling, <laughs> we're going to be back on the road for our Back in the Habit World Tour. Number one, thanks to everyone who came out to see us in Europe. That was a dream come true. God we damn. had such a great time, and everyone so was fun. so sweet. It was so fucking cold. Um, Loved it so much. Yes. So October 18th, ninth, uh, in October 18th, we are going to be in Tampa, Florida. The 19th of October, Miami. Florida, and then October 20th, Orlando, Florida, and then we have November 21st in Portland, November 27th. Portland, Maine. Portland, Maine, yes. <laughs> oh, uh, November 21st, Portland, Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh, November 22nd, Northampton, Massachusetts, and November 23rd, Buffalo, New York, and then finally in December, December 5th, Toronto, uh, December 6th. Finally, we are going to Detroit. Yep. Can't and wait. We are so excited. We are going to. It's also the perfect time to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's yes. the perfect time to be in tr- Detroit. I can't wait for the, the tropical vibes. I oh, can't yeah. wait to have a pina colada and sit by the beach. No, and we're not under a massive time crunch. In no way is there going to be a snowstorm in the Midwest in December. No, oh, we're, and no. everything's going to be totally fine, guys. Toronto to Detroit to Columbus in December. Smooth sailing, boys. Smooth, Smooth sailing. sailing. That's sailing. Right. December 7th, Columbus, Ohio. So please come out to those shows. Um, we can't wait to see everybody on the road again. Oh, and one more thing. I'd also like to give uh, extra special thanks to research assistant Joel McKean for his work on the Brigham Young book on this episode. He was absolutely invaluable. Thank, Thank you, Joel. You. Thank you, Joel. Also, Ben Kissel and I will be doing an episode of Side Stories Live. Yay! November 8th in Washington, D.C., part of the Death Becomes Us Festival. See Kissel and I weave a tale of imagination in front of you. Yes. See as we speak to you and wonder what we'll say. Yes, indeed. As we wonder what we'll say as well. <laughs> um, no, that will be wonderful. We always love going to Washington, D.C. And uh, so, yes, hang out with us and we will have a great time together. Can't wait to see you all on the road. And I guess that's basically it as far as announcements go, right? I believe so. Oh, and uh, we're going to be returning to Adult Swim. Yes. This Tuesday. The uh, the stream, last stream on the left, uh, is going to be returning to the airwaves this Tuesday yes. at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to adultswim.com slash streams this Tuesday at 8 p.m. EST to check us out. All right. Can't everyone. wait to see you guys. Cannot wait to see you guys again and strut and fret our hours upon the internet stage for you. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Never forget. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Oh, hail Gene. Let's do a magustalation, shall we? Magustalations. Hail me. Now, is it? would it be too bad to try to sw- pivot towards like getting our own little community? Uh, I mean, I think we could do it right. Ah, that's what they all I say. Think, no, honestly, the Flaming Lips right. did. No, the we... Flaming Lips have done it right. <laughs> Ugh, I've, I've heard tell it's kind of rough over there. No, it's great. They just make stuff. Jared Leto, however, is starting a cult, Ooh. and he's not doing it right. Oh, He doesn't have the right people around him. No. Oh. I could help. Just trust me. We're just <laughs> we're all bad multitaskers. Yeah. Uh, God damn it. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Here you are, BPM's high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue 
panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. How about Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries with breakfast? Whoa, well, Dad, we're on Crunch Island. <gasps> it's Jean foot. <laughs> and he stole our crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away. Throw our last Crunch Berry. No! No one steals my Crunch Berries. I think you mean my Crunch Berries. Choose your own Crunch Venture with Captain Crunch. 